Welcome to the Tech Ranch, where we explore the world of living with technology. Get ready to take a deep dive into the latest gadgets, apps, and innovations with your hosts, the guru of geek, Marlo Anderson, and his trusty co-host, Steve Botkin. Join us on this exciting journey and don't forget to visit thetechranch.com for even more exclusive content. Now, without further ado, let's welcome Marlo and Steve to the Tech Ranch. Welcome back to the Tech Ranch and Matt Shannondor joining us uh, today. Uh, we're so, well, Matt, introduce yourself because I, I I guess I don't know which hat to, to talk to you. <laughs> you got a lot of different hats. I, I, is it Mandan hat you're wearing right now? Yeah, is it Mandan, right? It's incredibly cold outside. It is, it is. Finally caught up with us. No, I am um, Matt Shannon, executive director for the Mandan Progress Organization and Visit Mandan right here in downtown Mandan. Uh, we do, we we create all the fun in Mandan. You do. Uh, it, well, actually, <laughs> one of the big things you guys uh, share uh, the holiday lights um, at uh, Dyke Shorn Park. That was kind of cool. It it was. It was a very very uh, uh, cool season, cool year, and uh, yeah, we had we had. Oh, just about 50,000 people come through this year. Wow. So it was a very biggest success. The reason I wanted to talk to you about it, because it's, it's not just a Christmas lights display. Um, it, there's an interactive aspect to it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The, the, the whole design of it originally, when we designed it um, last year for its inaugural year, was really about uh, taking that holiday lights experience and where... Majority of people are driving around, taking in lights from their vehicle. We really wanted to kind of take it up the notch and make it a walk around. And a lot of people here were, you know, when we first brought up the idea, we're like, oh, it's too cold for that. No one's going to want to do that. Well, it wasn't this year. This year was okay. <laughs> this year was great. But even even last year, it was, I mean, it last year we dealt with every bit of weather we possibly could have from blizzards to unseasonably cold, cold, cold weather. And um, people were still out. People still enjoyed it. And, and uh, I may have driven by last year and saw you actually shoveling out some of the display. I was, I was, yeah. I didn't take that into account the first year. <laughs> as to, you know, these put these big displays and then you go, oh, wait, we got to shovel around them. Um, yeah, no, it was, it was really good. And this year it just, it, it just, with the weather the way it was and it was nicer, more mild, it, people just came out in droves to come and check it out and do the whole walkthrough experience and, and, and really get, you know, photos with all the different displays, hanging out around the fire pit, enjoying hot chocolate, listening to the music. So we really tackled all the senses out there. Tell us a little bit about the interactive side because, uh, you know, a little different in the fact that, yeah, you wanted it to be a walk around, but just walking by a bunch of lights that really wasn't what you were after. You were after more of, okay, how do people participate? You know, get your Christmas card uh, taken, be, be part of the decorations, be part of the light show, be part of the park. Yeah, you know, it, the the model that we use, you know, I've spent quite a few years in the um, Halloween world, as we've talked about on the show before. And, um, you know, the... the not because he's a scary guy. Not, not because I'm scary. I like to scare people. Um, but by spending time in there, you know, the, the, the Halloween haunted house industry really got it when it came to designing immersive experiences. 
Um, and, and, and that goes back decades upon decades. You know, you, the haunted house kind of uh, method of putting people in an, in an environment that plays with all of the senses, but creates a over-the-top experience that um, really jar, you know, hits that memory core and creates those memories, creates those, those opportunities to really think back on, oh God, that scared me. I was, you know, and then they want to come back again. It creates that traditional atmosphere. Well, and the good interactive ones, it, it's not about, hey, I can walk through this a hundred times, but I'm going to get scared every time because the interactive side of that is, because you know, I, I, I remember when I was little, you'd walk through a haunted house and it would be a bunch of static displays. Mm -hmm. And then it started to change when it got really interactive because who's going to jump out at you? Who's going to grab you? Who's going <laughs> to, you know, some of the things that weren't prepared for as you're walking into a room and all of a sudden display is it's alive it, yeah you know that's a, a different level when you're talking being interactive when it comes to any sort of a holiday display but halloween really got it right yeah halloween really got it right i mean halloween got that that atmosphere right they also got the other thing they got is they got the they got it right building on theme and they the industry really took it from the theme parks and Disney World and things like that, where you had these 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 big parks that were really playing on character themes. Disney World, you know, plays on all of their different movies and 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 sets and everything's themed around those right and, things. And when you walk into a different section of a theme park, you're in that land. Mm -hmm. You're you're yep. in that neighborhood and you're immersed in that experience. And that's where the haunted house. It's like okay, it's instead of a bunch of different rooms that depict this or this or this, it's like, it's the whole house experience. Yep. It's kind of like walking through the Adams family house. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and they play on, you know, whether it's a dead swamp or they're in a sewer system or they're in a, in a zombie apocalypse, you know, they're, they're playing on those themes. So you, you get rid of all the scariness and you look at what is the method behind it? What is the connecting points? What are the 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 feel good points the the moments that really captures an individual's attention you know because we're 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 thrown at all kinds of stuff that's kind of grab our attention on a daily basis and so our mind really plays on what sticks with that and and we want to build I mean with any event you know, any kind of style community event and theme parks do this a lot I mean is building on that tradition you want you want to grab that that tradition from a child as they grow up they start a family they want to bring their family back to that and then disney world has really done a, a really good job that disney has done that where you know you might have gone as a kid you had a great time you remember it you had all those great experiences now you have a family and you're going oh i gotta take my kids back there because i had a great time i want them to have that same experience well, and the good experiences are a generational mm -hmm. are constantly evolving B. yep yeah and and so throughout all of that, this, this idea of development of seasonal attractions has kind of come to the forefront in many business models um, from, from zoos to botanical gardens to some of the mega hotels like the Gaylords. Um, they've taken that model and gone, okay, we have these spaces that people come to on a regular basis. Um, you know, particularly zoos and botanical gardens are really big on this in the southern part of the country. And, you know, they've got their regular visitors 
And so what they're doing is they're taking their space. They're going, okay, how do we, how do we entreat people to come back one multiple times a year and also come back outside of that normal business season? You know, so whether it's the summertime or whatnot, you know, that's their season. So they don't have to do much. People are going to go to the zoo. They're going to go to the botanical gardens. They're traveling, all that kind of stuff. But like any other industry, you've got a downtime of the year where you got, you know, you got staff on, you got these different things and you're trying to figure out how do you draw people in, still pay that ticket price, come into your facility and, and experience what you have. And so haunted houses, some theme parks went into the, haunt, the haunted house world, uh, zoos and botanical gardens. You know, it's, I mean, you could do a haunted house in a zoo, you know, it'd, it'd be a little, I mean, there's some, there's some scary parts in there. Zoo boo. <laughs> Zoo boo, right? Yeah. You know, but um, zoo and botanical gardens really went into the the light. It's really scary when you're eaten by a lion. Yes. <laughs> yeah, you could scare the crap out of me. You could do that. You could set a lion loose and have a John Fat. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that would that would scare. Um, but uh, zoos and botanical gardens really went into the light industry. They're like, hey, we've got we've got trees, we've got you know these landscapes pieces, we've got areas set aside that are you know our garden areas. How can we enhance that through? a immersive lights experience and it's really easy then to tie that into the you know tie it into christmas and tie it into the holidays and and tie it into this experience and and there have been some really good standouts that have done this in years you know we always hear about um the bellagio in las vegas and their their big um atrium that they do and they do you know christmas every year and so you get a lot of that uh, those Instagram moments, people down there, they'll take that in. Um, uh, department stores have done this for years. Uh, you know, Macy's and some of those big ones where they decorate their windows and it becomes a, almost like an unveiling every year of what the decorations are going to be at those windows, Rockefeller Center. You know, so those are the big names, the kind of the icons that have done it. But now you have a lot of communities like ours and 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 other smaller spaces that are really seeing that that attraction model and going, we can really provide something unique for the community that creates a, a traditional experience. And it's something that people are going to look forward to and something that people can go and see multiple times. Well, that brings season. up an interesting topic uh, about scalability because you're looking at some of those big signature spaces, uh, the Rockefellers Plaza and Lagio, you mentioned, uh, Pretty much limitless budgets and um, <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. large spaces. Yep. Um, talk a little bit about the scalability when you're applying that technology to a smaller space. It, it all comes down to that aha, that, that magic. Because there's a price point. There, there's a price point. There's a balancing act. Too. There is a price point. There's a balancing act. But what, what doesn't have a price point is creating that magical moment. Um you can have, you know, you can, yeah, you can, you can buy the biggest tree. You can throw everything at it. You can have, you know, spend hundreds, millions of dollars in creating this spectacle experience that thousands of people are going to gonna take on. But um, you can actually, you know, as we scale that back, the core concept of creating that magical moment is still there. So when you're talking about the, the scalability, it, it's... Are you really talking about, okay, a, a signature? Because I, I, again, coming back to the budgets with the small community versus some of these larger uh, benchmark pieces, uh, now are you looking at 
that one aha incredible piece and then filling it in with a bunch of other things around that space? Or is there a way through the technology behind this methodology or methodologies uh, to go out and fill up a space, but each one is either autonomous or they have their own nuance, their own charm, their own character. A lot of different ways to go. Welcome back to the Tech Ranch. Let's get back to discovering the latest in technology with the guru of geek, Marlo Anderson. Back with Matt Shannondor, Executive Director, Mandan MPO. And uh, we're talking about their holiday light display, which uh, a big hit within the community. Um, saw a lot of stuff on the news about it and, and a little different thought going in making Christmas and, and a light sh uh, display. Uh, you know, you think of something static, but um, making it truly interactive. We we're talking a little bit about some of the methodology behind it, but I wanted to know about scalability, Matt. Um, you're looking at uh, putting on a display like that or having something for the community and the technology that goes behind the interactive side of stuff. And I'm thinking that you're going to have, from a cost perspective, uh, because unlike some signature spaces, which have unlimited budgets, um, smaller communities and smaller spaces do have budgets. Um, working within that budget, there's either a bunch of little things or you could do one big splash piece and then fill in with a little stuff is whatever your budget. Which methodology did you guys use? How, how did you manage that problem? When you've got a limited budget, you've got space, but you want to go over the top with this display for the community. Yeah. So really when we started the design process of the Mandan Holiday Lights, I mean, we, we really started with the space itself. So we looked at the parks, um, both Dykstra and Heritage Park, and we looked at, um, really looked at the amount of space we had to fill. Because um, you don't want to take the space, it's big, and then put one display in there or a smaller display that doesn't fit the the overall um, park space itself. It doesn't fit in there. So we wanted something that was, and, 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 and the other way too, you don't want it over the top. So you couldn't, you know, you didn't want to put like a, a Bentleyville tree, which is 80 some feet high. You don't want clutter. You yeah. Careful. Yeah. You, you know, so, so you have to look at that aspect of it, Ob obviously keeping in the budget. So really what we did is we looked at the space and we really thought about, okay, what, what are the, the components of, Mandan in a in a in a holiday sense, because um, you could go modern, completely modern, you know, cone shaped trees that are doing all kinds of fancy things, and and you know, digital lights that are running up and down. Um, you could do all wire frames, which are very kind of two dimensional type of things, or you could be more of the traditional sense where you're looking at okay, we need the tree, we need the nativity scene we need these piece these kind of pieces that all fit within the community and um so naturally we kind of we settled on three different themes and we thought that would be a nice spread across our the park itself the two parks obviously the the one we really kind of narrowed in on right away was the traditional christmas theme um the tree the the presents the gift boxes those types of things um mm -hmm. The next type of theme was the, the kind of Mandan's brand itself, the, you know, where the West begins, kind of bringing some of those components into it. Um, so that then falls into the, the trains, the 
old-fashioned ornaments, the, you know, we kind of centered that around the, the, the Christmas tree lot that we have. And then the other part was the whimsical, the, the Candyland Playland was kind of that take on, well, these are the photo ops, these are the, the candy cane arch, these are the different things that we had. So once we had those themes, we really <clears throat> collected a lot of different display options and threw them up and said, okay, this is what we've got um, for display options. And you can have everything from, you know, just a static display that kind of sits there. You can have walkthrough displays. You can have things that you can sit in, um, stand by, stand on. Um, and so we took all those different pieces and looked at, okay, we want, you know, we want photo ops. We want things where people can take family pictures. We want it big enough to, you know, have the family be able to stand in it. Um, and by taking that, we were able to narrow down those particular pieces that we thought were um, our signature pieces. And within each theme, we said, okay, so what is the, what is the hero piece of this particular theme? And that we narrowed into the, you know, the, the bigger pieces, the, the, the almost climactic pieces that you would see that are, would be the signature pieces that when you thought of the holiday lights on Maine, this is the piece that you thought of. And so when we came down to the traditional Christmas, one of the ones that we really narrowed in on was the big gift box walkthrough arch. And, um, and one of the reasons we narrowed in on that one is it was because it was so big and unique, but we also knew that we were going to situate it in a place right along main street that when you were driving by, you would see this, the attention, box, getter. the attention grabber. Yeah. Um, you know, you can make it really cool by, uh, kind of going back to the Halloween theme a little bit with it is, or like a jack-in-the-box. There you go. It's like oh. people walk in and then it jumps out. Jumps out of the top. That, that might be kind of cool for next year. That would be good. I'll just I'll keep it up all year long. I'll just theme it. Um, and then the other, obviously the other one was, um, the other hero piece of that traditional sense was the, the tree itself. The 26-foot tree that we've got um, really narrowed in on that. Again, this, this iconic piece that when you're driving by, you're seeing it. It's bigger than life um, as you get out there. Um, the side pieces that went along with that were kind of the the visit man and wreath that we have the the smaller gift boxes that are around. We have the the um, golden frame picture frame that you could stand in. Uh, those all were the the secondary level pieces that really kind of enhanced that that theme itself. On the whimsical end, the Candyland Playland, the the candy cane arch was our signature piece. Uh, we knew that because of the size and the scope of it, it would fit well going either at a in a um, traffic point in the actual park so that people would then want to take pictures underneath it, um, take pictures within it. And then the other pieces that would go around it would be the, the teddy bear and some of the other photo ops uh, and the, the, um, the ball ornaments and stuff like that. With all of the pieces we were looking at, one of the things that we didn't want to have happen was we didn't want these to not have any display purpose um, outside of the night time when the lights were on. So we wanted them to have some sort of effect during the day as well. And, and that was when we were designing, it was unique because a lot of places will you do wireframes, which are cheaper, easier to do, but during the daytime, you're not going to see anything with them. They're just going to see the frames up. We really wanted these pieces to have some color that you could see during the day. So the C9 light bulbs that we have, which are the big... Um, acrylic pieces that we have the the ornament ball stack that we have bunch of colors in it even the even the candy cane art still had a color of white red in it 
which during the daytime you could see and you'd have those things. So we, we systematically went through all these pieces and then we got down to the pricing and we got into it and said, okay, this piece costs this much. We, you know, we need to narrow down what we're doing in these other pieces to make sure that we can fit this particular into that budget. We can fit those into them. And then we, we outweighed how those pieces were interactive. If it didn't, if it didn't, for me, if it didn't pull any type of photo ability with it, it was kind of out. Um, I know one of the pieces that we were, we were going to bring in was a, um, a big willow tree. Um, <clears throat> and it stood, I think, like 20 feet high, but it had these big branches that kind of willowed down just like a big willow tree. And I saw some pictures of it in a scene and it, it, it just didn't have that photo moment. Didn't pop, didn't have didn't that pop. factor. Yeah, and it was really a lot of different options out there. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so that was one of the pieces that we we cut out of our plan um, almost at the very end because we just, after a while, we looked at it and said, this piece just, it just doesn't fit with the themes. It doesn't fit the themes. It doesn't fit that photo. And we actually replaced it with the um, the candy cane arch that we were looking at. Good call. Good. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of people really like the candy cane arch. Yeah. Um, saw a lot of pictures uh, from the light display on uh, Main and Dykeshire Park. And, uh, uh, beautiful for the holidays. We're talking with Matt Shannondor. And we're back. Don't miss a minute of the Tech Ranch as we explore the cutting edge of tech with Marlo and Steve. For more exclusive content, visit thetechranch.com. Talking with Matt Shannondor, Executive Director, Mandan Progress Organization, and uh, the technology that goes behind. We're going to get into some of that. Um, their holiday lights display on Main Street in downtown Mandan, North Dakota. And Matt uh, talked a little bit about uh, going through the process of picking and choosing what to put in there and what to have in that interactive holiday display and what you leave out and because there's a lot of different options out there how much of the thought process goes into okay as we're adding pieces to this where do you want it five years from now 10 years from now because um it's kind of a sum of the parts but you kind of have to have okay what are we holding on to what's the core theme that we want to continue as growing this display yeah, you know, we really looked back at the, you know, on the future plan of what we're doing was creating that overall experience of just kind of looking at what we wanted the experience to be. And um, we knew right away in the beginning that this attraction was going to be more than just the, more than just the lights itself. Yeah, kind of family memory yeah building tradition so families and yeah people come back year after year yeah and so something you gotta do yep exactly and and what we looked at is we looked at other other attractions other holidays and we kind of looked at what are the things that people go back year after year after year and take pictures at or want to see um you know we looked at the zoos, we looked at these different things, you know, different attractions, different facilities. And one of the things was that really stood out was obviously photo ops are big. You know, I go to the Dakota Zoo here in Bismarck and they've got the big, 
you know, the photo ops that you can get in that have been there for decades, you know, and my kids, I had pictures in there. My kids have pictures in there. Oh, a selfie with the penguins. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, that's a big one now. Um, we thought of the one where they have the big, um, I'm, I'm not familiar with the bird, but they have the big nest and they got the wingspan. You can stand in front of it and measure it. Um, you know, you look at a, you look at the, the pumpkin patch here in town, um, you know, and the different over the top items that they have, the big red chair, the rocking chair that's out there that you can sit on. You know, those are things that it doesn't change, but every year you go and kind of take a picture in front of, you take those types of things. So we looked at the pieces and we were like, okay, what are the pieces that people are really going to look at and say, okay, every year our family picture is going to be under this candy cane arch or in the gift box, you know, those types of things. Those are the ones that really draw people in. They see them. They want people to recognize those particular pieces and they want to be able to take the family there every year. And part of that documenting a history, it is, you know, especially with kids, you're like, okay, in fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade, you know, as you're documenting those Christmases, my wife and I, we always, we have a thing. We take the little photo photos. Oh yeah. um, At every year, same time, kind of our thing. So, Hey, wow, we're getting old. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Getting a little fat there now. (laughs) Diet time. But, but we do that every year because that's kind of our tradition. It's our thing. We um, started because that was our, a date night. We went Mm -hmm. to a movie and there was photo booth. We took a picture and it was kind of, kind of turned into our thing. Yeah. And, And that's really what we, you know, we saw happening here. Um, Within the experience, though, you got to have things for people to do, you know. And so one of the one of the early on activations was um, how do we do a beverage in the park? You know, how do we make it? It's a free experience to come to. You don't have to pay anything. But how do we give that added value? How do we give them something to hit all of the senses? Um, and so, sight is obviously easy. You got lights, you got all kinds of stuff, but then you get into the other senses. Yeah, but that um, chilly night with that warm cu- cup of cocoa, I'm going to remember when I'm older that that was the best cup of cocoa exactly. I ever had. Exactly. It could have been water with a little, just enough to color it. <laughs> but I'm going to remember that that was the best cup of cocoa because yep. of the entire immersive experience. Yeah. And so we we worked with various you know uh, places in town here and and got the opportunity to get some free hot chocolate you know, out to people so that it's not something that they're spending money on, but they can come up and get some free hot chocolate. The the music playing in the park, um, hearing it, hearing that Christmas music every night um, playing in the park, it, you know, it actually, it, it's amazing how the music creates such a different atmosphere. You know, during the, the main nights we're out there, you know, you got the music playing and it just it just resonates with what's happening in the park. You hear the laughter, you hear the people, you hear all that kind of stuff. At the end of the night when the music would go off, just before the lights go out, you walk out there and it's just silent. And it almost, not that it takes away from the experience, but it's a completely different experience that you're standing within because you don't have that music playing, that type of atmosphere. Um, The fire pits added the warmth, that kind of touch to it. And so, you know, we really hit all of the senses in terms of creating that, that environment that really hits everything, creates that hallmark moment, which everyone would mention, and creates that, that experience that really hits those core memories that wants you to, you know, want you to bring back year after year. Now, after our first year, the questions were to us were, what are you going to do different? 
what are you going to do more of? How are you going to change, you know, how do you going to change this? How are you going to, um, you know, you mentioned the Hallmark moment, yeah. but that's, you know, if you look at the Hallmark channel, they run Christmas movies year round. Mm -hmm. um, it triggers that memory. My, my wife's addicted, you know, it's, but <laughs> it works. Well, and, and the thing is, how many of those Christmas movies do you watch the same movie every year? You know, like me personally, no, zero, but yeah, you personally, but, but there are people that Christmas vacation, yeah. white Christmas, you know, there, well, I, I thought you meant the Hallmark channel ones. It's like, no, but the, there are yeah. the signature movies, the signature films that people yeah. will, home alone or die hard come yeah. on at Christmas and I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> both Christmas. Actually, Gremlins is also. Christmas. It is. It is. It, is. it truly is. Uh, but uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. You know, yep. Christmas at the mall. Yep. Uh, but, but no, you're right. I mean, Elf pops on and, oh, yeah, but you've seen it 40,000 times. I don't care. You'll watch it. It's that time of the year. Elf pops on in July. Eh. Yeah. But Christmas time, I'm watching it. I'm hooked. And, and, it, and, and, it, and it plays into the music as well. I mean, you hear the music on the radio station playing. You don't matter how many times you hear, you know, Mariah Carey's, you know, Christmas song. It's, you hear it and you're like, oh, yeah, and you get in the mood of Christmas. You know, I, I heard it. Hum, I don't know. I can't even count how many times I heard the same songs when I was walking through the parks this this season. But you know, it all plays into that. So we knew that you know some of these that pieces behind the big cottonwood tree that was Matt's. <laughs> he was, was kind of keeping an eye on the park over Christmas, yeah, right? Yeah, keeping an eye on it. Um, so we we know the pieces that we brought into the park would be timeless. So to our advantage, there's not a lot that we have to do. To, to, to make these pieces extend out and be worthwhile in, in five, 10 years. Because as those pre pieces produce that connecting point, we know that if that piece was to go away, people are like, well, where's the big gift box? Yeah, we take our picture in front of the every box. year. You know, it doesn't have to change, but the fact that it's there, people are like, hey, we got Okay, this. so we started down this road. So how do you change things? How do you get into the, the mindset that, okay... Um, you need to evolve anything. Um, so it's more a case of, okay, what are we going to add that brings value to that story we're trying to tell, that theme, so we can bring in more and more people that, no, this is a must-see. I yep. have to go do this. Yeah, you know, and, and, and what it really comes down to this last year, because now we went in our second year, and that's one of our one of the, the, the situations we were tackling. Yeah, so what did no. you change from the first year to the second? So the second year, we really, we, we, we moved things around, you know, because, and, and it was amazing. You move something. And then people have to find it. Well, one, they have to find it. And two, just because it's moved, some people thought things were new. You know, so we had a, um, we had a, big, a big wreath that was mounted on a big black podium that said Visit Mandan on it. Right by the entrance as they came in in the first year. Um, this year we moved it farther into the park and it was uh, along one of the walkways and we had multiple people tell us, well, this one, this one's new. This one's new this year. I didn't see this one last year. And I'm like, oh, this is the second year. And so just by switching that up. Oh, you're you talking about it. the senses. I mean, think about it. Uh, you know, you talked about the Christmas music and the, the taste with the hot chocolate and smell of the hot chocolate at the fire pits, for the warmth, but people really tend to be spatial. I mm -hmm. mean, I, if you move things around, your senses are going to, wait a minute, this is new. I have to re-explore this. I have to re-navigate this. And so you're really engaging 
people's brain from an interactive, that immersive experience, yep. uh, because you have to go discover things again. Or if the candy cane arch, you, you get your family picture taken. That's our Christmas card every year. Well, now we got to go find it. Mm -hmm. It's it's over there. So it is a new experience to yep. a certain degree. Yeah. And and so that that aspect, you know, really helped in the second year. And then we brought, you know, we brought in this this last year, we brought in a um, 16 foot high snowman um, that we had looked like, we had looked at a snowman earlier in our first year, um, but we weren't able to acquire the one that we wanted. And so the second year we were really looking at, okay, we wanted to bring in a, a snowman. We wanted to bring in, you know, that type of character. So the abominable from Rudolph didn't make the cut? Didn't make the cut, no. With bored that <laughs> myself. So we, we came across Bumble. this new one. And um, what I really found interesting about it was that it was a, it was a, uh, a walkthrough base. It was a tunnel, essentially. And the lights actually um, were built into the actual tunnel that went through the, the bottom kind of cylinder part of the base of the, the snowman himself. And right away, when we saw it at the, the trade show in March of last year, we, I was like, this is the piece that's going to be the most photoed piece because everyone's going to want to stand inside this tunnel and take a picture because it just, the lighting was perfect. The structure was perfect um, in terms of its height. It's, it's kind of over the top in terms of a, a character. Well, and that's one thing you got to think about too. It, it's a park. It's dim lights. You want people to be able to take their photo ops. So the lighting of the pieces themselves, um, it, it, that matters. Yeah. So oh yeah. You mentioned you go to a trade show and, and look at these different uh, pieces uh, so that's something you have to be cognitive of is, okay, the photo op, because when you're at a, at a convention center, seeing a static display and trying to think of how that's going to be interactive and you're in a very well lit mm -hmm. convention hall. So things look different than what they would actually on the display. Oh yeah. And, and you're exactly right with that. You're exactly right. And we learned very quickly from the first year to the second year, which pieces, uh, worked well that way. Um, you know, the, the tree is one of those pieces that, um, has a hard time, you know, you stand in front of it, you're, you're backlit. And so, you know, the front of those individuals, when you're out of the, sh out on the, in the park itself, you know, are, is dark. And so we had a lot of people that were resituating themselves in other areas around the tree that was actually getting lit from other displays. So the light was casting onto their face, which would actually light them up. And so... Which plays a lot into yep. where you're positioning these exactly yeah. around the park. Yeah. And so, so yeah. So, you know, we brought in that display. We brought in a couple of, um, uh, a little more movement and color. You know, that was last year. One of the comments that we had was that it was all, a lot of it was uh, white lights. And, you know, a lot of people said, well, I'd, you know, I'd really like to see some color in, in the displays or colors in the light. But you got to be careful about where you position those because mm -hmm. you're, again, trying to get photo ops for people. And uh, the best Christmas card looks best with a nice static display yep. light yep. so that you can show up in it. But, you know, it's almost like the colors accent lighting. Yeah. Yeah, and so so we we did bring in a couple other uh, displays. We had one the previous year would on the on the main stage, the bandshell stage. We had a um, a, a digital display that kind of ran different patterns on the lights. And this year we brought in a big gift tag for our presenting sponsor, and that had a um, a digital pixel 
kind of program that was running through it that made the the logo kind of change colors and the trees around it did some um, funky designs and stuff like that. And that was a more or less an attention grabber as people were going by. They saw the color, they saw the movement. Movement um, matters. And, and it does, it does, yeah. It does. That, that's what catches the eye. And you're like, oh, what's... Yep. Yeah, so all of that kind of plays into... just jack our sex thing or coming with the box. It's okay. You know what? <laughs> we, can, we can make it happen, man. <laughs> a lot of cool stuff going into... Uh, um, the holiday display at Dykeshore Park. Uh, hey, when we come back from the, the break, I want to talk a little bit about the technology side of things because, uh, first of all, where is this going and what is that long-term plan? But then also the technology behind uh, the smart plugs, the LED lights, all the things that really you have to keep in mind when doing a big holiday display like this. Thanks for staying with us on the Tech Ranch. Let's rejoin Marlo and Steve as they guide us through the fascinating world of technology. Technology. Talking to Matt Shannondor, Executive Director of Mandan Progress Organization. So, Matt, holiday displays, uh, year one to year two, a uh, few decisions, you know, probably a learning curve of uh, what you can and cannot do to make the experience uh, better. Um, so, what were some of your takeaways after year two? Uh, weather really makes it. A really good experience. Got spoiled this last year. <laughs> yes, as opposed to the feet, feet, feet of snow the yeah, year before. Yeah, we only. I think we only had to shovel once, maybe twice. Um, the ice storm, although, made things very interesting. <laughs> uh, I still show through ice though, so it actually yeah. probably added a, a cool look. You could have ice skated through the park. You know, maybe hey, maybe next year an ice skating trail. You know, that's the, I think that's the way to go. Um, no, we learned a lot. I mean. A lot of what we've learned over the last year from year one to year two is um, really managing group group dynamics. I mean, we see, you know, how people are moving through the space. Um, one of our one of our things from year one to year two that we really kind of looked at is, you know, we we do we have counters at all of our gates that count the traffic in and out, and um, and one area that we didn't we thought was going to be a highly trafficked area ended up just failing miserably in terms of, a, of giving us a good count. And that was the the big gift box that we have. You know, it is, it is situated on one of the entrances into the park. And um, we put a counter inside of it. And so as people pass through it, it would count um, individuals. What we didn't realize is how many people would actually just stand in and take a picture and not pass through as a kind of as over the threshold point for counting and uh so the flow was off a little bit yeah you know we we really thought i mean we we, we very much thought that there would be a lot of people just walking through that gift box that was going to be the the highlight of everyone's of entrance into the park like they weren't going to enter any other area except for that gift box because that was where everyone's going to walk in take a picture but what happened is most people came in from the side entrance next to our building and the main entrance by our um, the pergolas that were kind of right off the street side, and when they walked when they walked by that display, they actually just walked into it, took a picture, and then kept walking by. And so that entrance really got minimal use in terms of the gate itself. Um, and, and so we that was a, that was a misstep on our part. We really thought that that was going to be one of the, the the core points where people would walk through versus some of these other areas that you didn't really think would be necessary. And so we learned a lot that way watching group dynamics. We learned a lot about how people interact 
in spaces um, around the fire pits as well. I mean, you have these massive fire pits. Last year, we didn't have chairs because of all the snow. This year, we kept our park chairs out there. Well, actually, you did have chairs last year. You just pile up snow and they sit down. Yeah, you did that. You yeah, you done that. Yeah. And um, this year, people tended to stay a lot longer around those fire pits because there were chairs to sit on. They were sitting on the sides, um, those types of things. And so we saw that interaction and and really saw the the need for or more seating in the park, whether it's benches or um, items to sit on in front of the displays. Um, now, it's, when you're looking at managing a park like that as well, though, so are you looking at, because I, I'm guessing you're probably gleaning some information out about, okay, what are some of the things we need on a permanent basis within mm -hmm. the park? Yep. So while adding seating for the fire pits, maybe there's some strategic places to add seating in general. Yeah. You know, and, and we see that a lot of that in just our overall management year round, you know, we see that, that there are, and there are benches, um, um, positioned in various parts of some of the older parks, but the newer park design didn't really have a lot inside of it. Um, but in terms of the design concepts of the holiday lights, we saw that there was a need in, in, in terms of the photo ops, um, to design some sort of seating into the spaces where they were taking pictures because we saw a lot of what we saw were old, um, you know, the grandparents um, sitting with the grandkids and there wasn't a spot to sit. And so they were either standing next to a display or trying to hold the kids or sitting on the displays, which we were, were discouraging, uh, <laughs> you know, those types of things. But again, you learn by watching what people are doing and how they interact with these pieces. Um, and so that's our focus in, in going into year three is, is how do we create better um infrastructure around these displays that allow people to take those photos uh, easier without having to like sit on our actual displays or try to make something work within the space that they're they're in but it all goes back to you know how the, how, how are we creating those photo moments the other thing that we've been asked is um to have either selfie stick stations or uh, people going around at the displays to actually take photos for people because we uh, we live in a world now where People don't want to ask for assistance ever. And so we were very individualized, even in a community space. And so we just opt to gather everyone around and the one with the longest arm gets the, gets the phone and, and you try to get that selfie. Being right. You don't want to inconvenience anyone by saying, hey, would you take a picture of our family? Would you do this? You know, it's, it's this kind of weird realm that we live in now versus and nobody's ever asked why all the pictures of my wife and I I'm on the right side longer <laughs> arms longer arms there you go you know because we live in a realm I mean 20 years ago when we you know when there weren't phones and, and that type of thing you you had your camera you asked someone to take a photo and you know they would click a photo of you and your family and then you'd go on and you do those things but we live in a we live in an environment well, it was think back though about that because it was one click and done yeah now it's like if somebody is going to take a picture for you, it's like you wind up with 30, 40 pictures on your phone. Well, like, yeah. oh, well, I got options now. I, I can edit. Yep, yep. And 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 they didn't look at the photo either. They just took it. Yeah. So you got whatever it was came you got out. Now came out. It's like, well, can you take one more? Can you take it at a portrait? Can you? So we're a little bit more demanding too in that than that realm. Um, so you know, we're trying to navigate how we make these displays more accessible for that option as well. You know, on some of our busy nights. You know, we have 20 people in line at almost every display waiting to take pictures. 
at those displays. And so that, you know, kind of takes away from a little bit of the experience as people are walking around, you've got, you know, hordes of people standing in front of each display trying to navigate pictures. And so how cognizant do you have to be of flow? Because you want people to linger. Yeah. You want the turnover from the displays as well because everybody else needs to get an opportunity. Yeah. So one of the things we did, uh, and we learned this from year one or year two, is we moved some of the displays um, off of the sidewalks. They're not as close to the sidewalk. And so that allowed people to kind of step off the path so people could walk by. Um, We saw that last year. We put a lot of the pieces right up on the right up on the sidewalk. And so we had, you know, we had issues where people were taking photos and then standing in the sidewalk and then people are walking by. Um, so we like, made hey, a are point. you in line here? Or, yeah. Or, uh, no. or they're stepping in front of them yeah. taking a picture like, oh, sorry. You know. Sorry. Get that half crouch yep. walk thing going. Yeah. So, you know, the the snowman, the new snowman arch that we had actually worked perfect because we had a, we have an area in the park where there's kind of like a, a triangle center and we, we were able to place him on a sidewalk right between like uh, two areas where they connect, but there was still kind of a walk around. And that really worked well in terms of creating that flow because people could walk around the snowman and then they still had the section of people taking photos with them. So as you're working on that flow, you know, the positioning of all these different pieces really matters a lot. It does. So when you're space planning, um, what are you looking at for next year? You know, it, because as you're adding different pieces, it's almost like you're every year's a new little learning curve. It is. It is. So when you're space planning on where to put these pieces, where to add pieces, where to have uh, maybe a little bit minor piece so people can linger there or transitional places, it really makes a difference. If you have any questions or want to suggest topics for future shows, visit thetechranch.com and send us your thoughts. You can also listen to past episodes and watch exclusive interviews not featured on the radio show. Be sure to follow Marlo and Steve on social media by clicking the links at thetechranch.com. Until next time, keep exploring the world of living with technology. The Tech Ranch. Super Talk 1270. Welcome to January 13th on the National Day Calendar. Today, we're appreciating a cheerful bath time companion and reveling in the simple joy of adhesive decor. Recognizable by its bright yellow color and squeaky sound, the rubber ducky is an iconic bath toy that has been a staple of childhood for generations. In fact, it was named one of the top 100 toys of the 20th century by the Century of Toys List. While the exact origin of the rubber ducky is unknown, it has made a splash in popular culture, most notably in the 1970s, when it starred in its own song on the television show Sesame Street. Oh, rubber ducky, you're the one. On National Rubber Ducky Day, we celebrate this beloved and adorable bath time buddy. There's a photo of me out there surrounded by hundreds of rubber duckies. I love rubber duckies. They're so cute. They really are. And they add a little extra to the bath time, don't they? Do you still use rubber duckies, Marla? I don't take a bath a whole lot anymore. But if I did, (laughs) I'd still have them. How about you? I have them around the house, but I have a kid. So mine makes sense. Yours, not so much. From the playful world of rubber duckies, we stick to a simple item that has brought joy to many. First invented by European merchants in the 1880s to label their goods, stickers have evolved into an expressive art form. They come in various shapes, sizes, and themes. 
used for decoration, branding, or expressing personal identity. National Sticker Day celebrates these adhesive treasures that add color and fun to our lives. The last thing you want is to make a bad first impression with a sticker that's hard to use. At Sticker Giant, we think this is unacceptable. That's why we use actual freaking lasers. I love stickers. I'm more into like laptop stickers and water bottle container stickers and... Me too. We should get some destination celebration laptop stickers done. Oh, I like that. Are you going to be in the front of the sticker with your face like, ah? I was thinking, yeah, well, you know, I am okay. the eye candy of the group, right? You are the well, eye maybe. candy. Yeah, not really, of course. <laughs> I'm Latoya Johnson. I'm Marlo Anderson. Thank you for joining us on our journey to celebrate every day on Destination Celebration. Until next time, keep celebrating. The Ramsey Show. Not one piece of data says that where you went to school indicates your increased probability of success. That's right. Not one. Lots of failures at life. <laughs> went to Harvard, to Yale, went to MIT. That's true. And they completely flunked out at life. I went to that school and because they played football well, I am successful. What? Practical financial advice from Dave Ramsey starting at 5 p.m. weekdays on Super Talk 1270. Mandan Bismarck, a Town Square media station, broadcasting from the View Community Credit Union Studio. ABC News, I'm Mark Remillard. A second day of U.S. strikes on Iranian-backed militants in Yemen after striking 60 Houthi targets Friday. U.S. officials say additional strikes were carried out Saturday after a string of attacks by the militants on ships in the Red Sea. A major winter storm threatening to dampen turnout of the Iowa caucuses on Monday. Former President Trump canceling most of his in-person events this weekend, but telling voters. We have to make sure we caucus on Monday, 6.30, get there a half hour before the 7 o'clock bell. The National Weather Service in Des Moines urging drivers to stay off the roads. Federal prosecutors say they plan to seek the death penalty against the white supremacists who opened fire inside a Buffalo, New York supermarket in 2022, killing 10 black people. The gunman already pleaded guilty to state charges. Voters in Taiwan heading to the polls Saturday to select a new president at a time where China has been increasingly asserting its claims to the island. This is ABC News. 
The investigation into why a section of an Alaska Airlines plane tore off mid-flight, forcing an emergency landing last week, continues. Just a day after the FAA announced an investigation into whether Boeing failed to properly inspect its 737 MAX 9 aircraft, which remain grounded, the FAA taking further action auditing the MAX 9's entire production line and all of its suppliers. And in a federal lawsuit, a former employee of Spirit Aerosystems, which manufactured the MAX 9 fuselage, alleging the company's products suffered from an excessive amount of defects. It's ABC's Matt Rivers reporting. Mike Lindell, the pillow salesman turned prominent election denier, says that Fox News has stopped running his company's commercials, disputing claims from the network that it was over unpaid bills. Fox has been one of Lindell's biggest advertising outlets, with Lindell now claiming that the network is trying to silence him. Fox News denies that. Losing Fox is just the latest in a series of financial and legal setbacks. Mark Remillard, ABC News. Super Talk 1270, Bismarck Area Weather. With your forecast, I'm Corey Hartman. Snow and blowing snow and very cold today. Winds gust 30 to 35 miles per hour and the wind chill will be 45 below zero at times. For tonight, a low of 20 below, wind chill still 45 below, partly sunny and 10 below for your Sunday. Warm up, pretend it's summer. Get Grandpa's Barbecue Sauce, grandpasbbqshop.com. Right now, 22 below. Hello. I'm Justin Antonovich with the Bismarck Police Department. Speeding and aggressive driving are the primary cause of most traffic incidents and play a huge factor in traffic injuries and fatalities. By speeding and driving aggressively, you are putting yourself, your passengers, and the vehicles around you in danger. Obey the speed limit. It's not a matter of if, but when it will save a life. The best weekend talk lineup is on Super Talk 1270. Check out the program schedule at supertalk1270.com and on the free Super Talk 1270 app. Portions of the following program are pre recorded. Welcome to the Tech Ranch, where we explore the world of living with technology. Get ready to take a deep dive into the latest gadgets, apps, and innovations with your hosts, the guru of geek, Marlo Anderson, and his trusty co-host, Steve Botkin. Join us on this exciting journey, and don't forget to visit thetechranch.com for even more exclusive content. Now, without further ado, let's welcome Marlo and Steve to the Tech Ranch. Talking with Matt Shannon, Executive Director, Mandan Progress Organization, uh, a second year of their holiday light display at Dyke Short Park. And uh, technology, Matt, uh, we've talked about a lot of different uh, aspects of the technology or the thought process, the methodology behind a something that most in the public think is pretty simple. Um, Hey, put up some Christmas lights. Okay. Well, no, there's a lot of thought process that goes behind that to make it that immersive, interactive experience for people uh, to create Christmas memories and those holiday memories. And, you know, that family photo for the Christmas card that you got to do every year so you can document the kids growing up uh, or the grandkids growing up. And uh, there's a lot of technology that goes behind the scenes on this as well uh, from a different aspect you know think about okay you were cognizant of led displays you were cognizant of smart plugs um for those that may not know explain what a smart plug is 
Well, basically, we just we um, we use a smart plug, which was um, a Wi-Fi based plug that we could then control via an app, um, and we could then control it to turn on and off, set schedules with it. Um, same type of plug that a lot of people use in their homes that's tied into either their Google Home or their Alexa app, stuff like that. Um, it was a pretty simple solution. We were we were um, stressing a little bit in the very beginning. So you didn't have somebody going out there every night playing uh, Clark Griswold trying to go, hey, I'm plugging in, what's going on? Exactly. You know, we had, you know, when the, the parks downtown Mandan were, were remodeled, uh, tons of power infrastructure was put in, which is phenomenal. That's what it actually made this attraction work. Um, a lot of uh, spaces, unfortunately, lack that um, power infrastructure. And so it's hard to do. It wind up looking like Claire Grissom. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Extension cords running everywhere, you know, trying to plug into one outlet, uh, all that kind of stuff. We were able to use the power infrastructure that was in place to really spread everything out and, and have a dedicated, you know, source of power for a lot of things. But um, we had recently just installed Wi-Fi in the park. And that was one of the reasons we had looked at that is because when we installed the Wi-Fi, we were looking at, okay, this this will be the key to um, connecting the display to a more virtual or digital programming aspect. Kind of master control, yeah. but digitally. Yeah, and and being that a lot of these things, um, uh, being that, the, that a lot of the displays are LED, we can run um, multiple displays off one one plug and a lot of it's right now we're using spt um one kind of lamp cord and it's a it's a specialized outdoor cord that you can plug in uh, male female ends you can kind of create the lengths that you want you can tap into it in multiple places and and being that everything's led um and low voltage we can run a lot of power through those um to these various displays uh, outside so we're not running you know 100 foot extension cords from one display all the way around, we can kind of create the network of power that we need to kind of hit uh, all the displays in, in one portion of the park. And then we hit another portion and we kind of set them up into sections. Um, but the, the, the smart plug is really what made it easy for us to turn on and turn off from both a, a smartphone on-site as well as from a, a remote location too. We can tap into it and see that. Um, and we're able to control all the lights that are in a two block section of the two parks. Um, so we are able to program those. We program the building lights. Again, we use a, a, a smart system there to, um, for the lights that are on the buildings. And again, those are controlled into a, a, a um, scheduleized system. So the park itself, all the lights would, you know, turn on. So basically right you, you've got everything on an app on your phone and you can control the lights, yep. the music, all of that. Yeah, everything one location. from one location. So do you ever sit on your couch and watch on the cameras and go, I'm going to scare that little kid that's right there. Make this big thing come to life. <laughs> no, but we, I mean, we, 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 could. we are able to, because we, we do have cameras in the park. We are able to watch and see whether things are working or not. Um, a couple of nights we had, we had uh, after we had closed, we had some kids go through the park and, and turn some of the plugs on. And so my app uh, will alert me when the device is on. And so, you know, I was able to see it and go, oh, you know, I can turn it off from there versus yeah, I'm, I'm at home. I see it. I'm like, oh, great. Now this thing's going to on, start the call all on all night long. You know, we can turn it off from there. We had a, um, we had a law enforcement incident um, a few weeks back where we had to turn them off early. So that was a, a situation where we were able to just, 
via the phone, just turn them all off and cut everything uh, that they requested. So those are all you know ways that we were able to simplify the light experience um, versus you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago when, when our old displays were in there, they were running off of old um, regular um, rope lighting, which draws a ton of power. Then you got to run around and unplug like 30 plugs. Yep, yep. So they were running around or they were doing breakers or putting in the old school kind of timer systems that would, were in place that something, you know, they would fail once in a while or they wouldn't turn on or things like that. So you'd have to go down and figure so those out. PM instead of AM. Yeah. Vice versa. <laughs> so... So we're able to kind of do that. So that that was a unique aspect of the system itself in terms of um, management. You know, that really helped on our level. Um, when I wasn't down there on certain nights, if we had a, a, a board member or a, a volunteer watching the park, um, they could call me and they could say, hey, I got a light that's out or something's not working. I could check the status of the plug. You know, it would tell us if it was, if it was a breaker that had tripped on it or something like that, you know. And then we can figure out, you know, they're you know, oftentimes, especially this season with a lot of the melt and snow that we had, we had sometimes where plugs were just triggered enough where, or just open enough where the water would get in there and then trigger that breaker to pop. And so we'd have to, and we could, we could troubleshoot those areas um, pretty quickly. From a time perspective, that, that's incredible. Mm-hmm. Yes. So being able to go through and troubleshoot and bid it, It'll actually tell you. So uh, if you haven't looked at smart plugs, it's, tr- it's really the way to go. Yeah. No, it, and, and, and we actually, we were one up on the, the, the company we worked with for a lot, of the dis- a lot of the displays and these setups. They didn't even have a solution to it. Um, they worked with a lot of different uh, board systems and these kind of really high-end systems in terms of trying to control things through time. Well, and, and that's just it too. Wired and all this kind of thing. It so, used to be very cost-prohibitive. Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, because you did have to have high-end boards and high-end, and everything had to run through one central power source yeah. and all these different things. And and you know, we 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 took a chance. I mean, it was we we I we we tested it, looked at it, said, okay, I think this is going to work because you know Wi-Fi only goes so far. And so right. we you know we did have to put an extender in this year. Um, the one park that's to the east of us was a little bit farther out for our our initial Wi-Fi antennas to reach so we had to put a we did have to have a an extender and a rebroadcast it's like going to a football game or or a big event a concert event or something it's like trying to get connectivity yeah that event is when you get a lot of people in a small space yeah connectivity goes away so having that connectivity very vital as well oh yeah and and we have 90 um 90 smart plugs that make up the whole that made up the display this year um and so those were you know Having all those programmed in, um, you know, and, and, and connecting reliably was what we really were focused on. You know, then you start taking a look at now from when you started because the process started. So technically, this is kind of like your third year of working with this technology. Mm-hmm. Um, the app side of that and being able to control things, look, just look at uh, Christmas displays now on people's homes. Mm-hmm. and. In three years, look how far that technology has come because you can get your house decorated with one and done. I'm putting up all the lights and, uh, hey, we're going to use that for 4th of July. We're going to use it for Christmas, for Halloween. And and you're not out there in a ladder when it's 30 below hanging or or taking lights down. (laughs) Um, 
just got gutters on our house. So I, my pass for not putting up lights is over. Yeah. Uh, so next year I'll be out on that ladder. Uh, but the technology in the course of three years has changed so much. I mean, it, it's really easy with an app and your phone and yep. control the lights, the colors, all of that. Well, and, e and even the programming, you know, our, we have a couple, we have, do have, and we have two displays that are running off a RGB pixel system. And it's a computerized system where the the uh, lights are programmed into a sequence within it. We, you know, one of the systems went down, you know, three quarters of the way through the season. And we called the the company and said, you know, the thing is just not doing it. And they're like, oh, okay, well, we'll we'll send you the file. Just re-upload it onto a mini SD and throw it back in there and and it should should catch it. Sure enough, you know, they're able to email me the sequencing programming, throw it on the SD card, put it back in, and boom, it's working again. Technology is great. Mean, and, and it's in, built into a tiny little box, and all, you know, all these data cords come out and run these, these pixels. And if a pixel goes out, you can pull it out and just re-splice in another light um, into it. I mean, it, it, no more are you, you taking light systems and going, okay, well, this, this string of lights, one ball is out. Okay, it's all done, yeah. you know. You can splice things in now and, and they've got connectors and things that can build it in and, and, you know, it's really unique and, and it's just, it's, it's, it's changing so fast in terms of what we can do and what we will be able to do with some of these, these lights. Okay. In the last minute or so that we've got, I want to talk a little bit about what's next. Your mm -hmm. three for the light display. What, what do you got in store? What have you learned this year going forward? Well, um, one of the items we do want to bring in, and we've had a request for a couple of years of it, is um, a tunnel, a light tunnel. Um, very, very unique. We see them in a lot of different um, systems. You see them in drive throughs and stuff like that. So that's one of the areas we want to bring in. Um, we do want to bring in a couple other um, character displays, photo ops that are lit up. Um, we find that those are really, really unique for, you know, your photos and, and stuff like that. But on a, on a bigger picture, we're really looking at the, the holiday market style. So figuring out how we can get vendors and food shops and things like that to really be able to sell holiday gifts, holiday knickknacks, holiday food items um, at, the, at the attraction as well. The awesome will show up. Yep. Way out of the park. That's the problem. With that. <laughs> that's that's who we're shooting for right there. Ain't of my existence now. We know. Yeah, we went to that last year. We don't have to go back now. They have new items. They have new shops. Hope she's not listening. <laughs> uh, Matt Shanador, uh, Mandan MPO Executive Director. Thanks for joining us today uh, on the Tech Ranch. Uh, some cool stuff with their holiday light display in downtown Mandan, North Dakota. Thanks for staying with us on the Tech Ranch. Let's rejoin Marlo and Steve as they guide us through the fascinating world of technology. Time for our social media update here on the Tech Ranch. Uh, I'm Steve Bakken, uh, Marlo at CES, currently uh, uh, tracing down all kinds of different interviews. So the big weekend, we'll uh, have a lot of those interviews in the near future here on the Tech Ranch. Jordan joining us for our social media update. And Jordan, we're into the new year now, and uh, new year means a lot of cool things. Um People have gotten Christmas out of their system and New Year's, and uh, that means kind of a big time for social media because it, it seems like every year uh, after the first of the year, after a week or two, things settle down, people get back into routines, but it also means things start trending differently. Uh, there's always something a little bit new, a little exciting, a little 
know, technology stuff. I don't know if it plays into the fact that CES is uh, in January as well, but um, you know, things start trending. I, I know one of the things on social media I've noticed, uh, Threads is continuing to get traction. We'll talk about that in a little bit, but uh, um, you've noticed a trend that I'm like, really, that's a trend? Because uh, it's kind of been around for a while. It's kind of been around for a long time. Uh, uh, Stanley's. And for people that don't know, uh, you know, if somebody says Stanley, um, back 20 years ago, 30 years ago, it's going to have a different connotation than what it means today. That's true. Big time. Um, in fact, uh, you know, first thing that pops in my head, Stanley thermoses. Right. Um, then there's Stanley tools. Right. And now Stanley, the thermostat is back. Right. Yeah, that's true. So the thing about Stanley that I find personally so interesting is how it has stood the test of time. So they were started in 1913. Um, so that's that's a testament to how long they've been doing it and and been in the industry of the working class. That was the... 111 years now. That's the thing. And so Stanley, they were the the innovators of the working class and the 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 thing you would buy you could use for life and uh, you mentioned to me before we started recording you've got your grandfather yeah i've got my grandfather's thermos that he took on the railroad with read exactly full full off never mind um but big full of coffee but and i remember his lunchbox because we had the old thermos that he had forever and then he upgraded at some point and got the lunchbox where the thermos fit on the top right i'm like oh cool but things tend to be cyclical. And we've talked about this before with social media, yeah. especially, and, and things have a life cycle. Yeah. Like music. We've talked about music in the past right. where, you know, bands from the 80s that were in my heyday, you know, hair bands and things like that. Today's kids have kind of picked up on that and go, wait, wait a minute, that's kind of cool music. It's retro to them. It's like, no, that's still good stuff to me. But yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> good is good is good, you know? Yeah. And so, I mean, just to talk about a timeline a little bit, um, if you remember in like 2010s, well, let me start over. How much water did you drink in the 90s? I don't know. Not, not nearly enough. So what would you say like your average per day was? Do I count the water that was in beer? Uh, no. Okay. Then uh, not enough. <laughs> if I had a, a, a glass of water or, or you know because this is back before water bottles right uh if i had a glass of water uh, it was a really hot day and i just got done mowing the lawn right i mean and that sort of is the thing that a lot of people say that for a long time hydration wasn't trendy it wasn't a no. thing that you thought about or cared about and now it's being said that you know some sources say 48 to 64 ounces per day but Harvard School of Medicine, they say anywhere between 72 and 104 ounces, which is why okay. I think... We have a tendency to knock younger generation a lot. Right. It, it, they do have one thing down. They do hydrate. That's true. <laughs> They're That's good. true. They're good at hydrating. Yes, I'm my, me, myself, I'm in a constant state of peeing. The fact that I'm able to talk right now... <laughs> Well, it's it's a big demand for defense. Yeah, that's true. Exactly. Yeah, adult diaper market. It's going to explode. I that's hey trend forecasting. Adult diapers. <laughs> Buy stock, folks. You're here first. <laughs> but just to say, uh, that's I mean, 2010. It's really becoming prevalent that hydro flasks and Yetis. There was like sort of a divide between those two companies. Well, if you had, if you remember the timeline a little bit, it was Yetis, 
because Yeti coolers exploded on the scene and all the knockoff coolers after that. Right. So Yeti expanded into the thermos mugs. And, right. And, and, and then they got into the flaskware and stuff like that. And then, hey, you mentioned Hydro Flask. Right. Hydro Flask was the next one. I remember... Um, my wife for her niece had to buy her a Hydro Flask yes. for her birthday. That's what she wanted. Exactly. Had to have it. It was trendy. Very it much. was cool. She was in uh, middle school. Right. Uh, had to have a Hydro Flask because that's what the cool kids had. That's true. And, you know, they're not necessarily affordable, but no. they were a thing. And they're built for life. That's the whole thing about Hydro Flask and Yeti is that they're built to yeah, last they're, forever. They're built for life, but with kids, are they? Right. Because I don't know where I put it. I lost it. Okay. Well, it's there for life, but if you can find it. Right. Yeah. I mean, I've, I have many times called myself the Brett Favre of leaving water bottles places. I'm a professional. I have, you know, and I feel like I've, I've gone into retirement, but then all of a sudden, hey, I lost my water bottle. So exactly. I'm back. Okay. So speaking of back, Stanley's. Now. Yes. So that's kind of the third one right. that's popped up is Stanley's. And okay. But what's old is new again. So in 2016, uh, fitness influencers, which were, that's the heyday, right? That's the thing. They started carrying around these 40 ounce Stanley cups, now known as the quencher. That's what they're, they're called on the site and everything, the quencher. And so everybody sort of picked up on that. And then now there's a third runner in the race. So in 2020, the person, his name is, uh, I think Terrence, he brought back Crocs. Like he was in Philip. Yeah, he's actually, I don't think he's Canadian, but uh, yeah, Terrence, Terrence Riley is his name. He was the one that brought Crocs back. He was the president of Crocs that had, he was the one that had the resurgence. That's, that was his whole thing. He's a professional marketer. I, I will say this though, and because the worst look in the world, people that wear Crocs in the summer and you have polka dot feet. I, I, I would never go this normally, but if you wear Crocs in the summer, Please wear socks. That's what I'm saying. I totally agree. <laughs> you have to wear socks. So Crocs for a long time were the utility shoe. You know, you can walk in dog poop and then just rinse them off in the sink. doesn't matter. I wouldn't do that, but that's that's a thing you can do. I have camel fleece lined ones. There you go. They're kind of cool. Yeah. Unless you are walking in the brush and you end up losing one, then it's... Don't do that. But, <laughs> but those are actually my... I, I have a pair for slippers around the house sure. to take the dogs out. Yeah, absolutely. A little bit of slip on real quick. That, yep. My Birkenstocks. That's exactly. But when there's snow, I'm throwing on the Crocs. Yeah, that's the thing. It's it's utility. That's that's the whole idea behind the Crocs is that they look good, they're fairly inexpensive, and they're utility, and right? They're rugged. Yeah, and they're up. Exactly. Yeah. So heading up Stanley in 2020, it was a no-brainer. Obviously, people are already using this. People are starting to you know, obviously hydration is a trend. So uh, that was really when they came on the scene is, is with their massive rebrand in 2020. And now people are clearing out entire sections Everywhere. of Target. There is people fighting for them. There is videos of people online that have over I that. XD. I saw that coming up for Christmas. Is yes. that, hey, we've got this fancy blinged out Stanley. And when it breaks out in the store... Fights break out in the store. It's a people are it's true climbing over each other to uh, get that first item off the shelf and and be able to get their hands on one. Now the thing is, how much of that is for somebody to go? I have to have one versus it's going to show up on eBay the next week. Exactly. That's uh, yeah. That that 
That's the problem with some of the trending. We'll get into that as well. Um, you're tuned to the Tech Ranch, our social media update with Jordan. Uh, I'm Steve Bach and Marlo Anderson at CES, uh, lining up all kinds of cool stuff. I wonder if you can bring back a Yarbo for me. You're listening to the Tech Ranch, where technology comes alive. Let's dive back into the conversation with Marlo and Steve. And don't forget to check out thetechranch.com for more. We're talking with Jordan about social media trending and influencers. And um, we're talking about Stanley's, actually. And uh, you said a couple of years ago, Stanley decided to reinvent themselves with these water containers. These That's great right. big mugs. You know, everybody's got to have a Stanley. That's right. Um, and so they went to the influencers. Uh, the the workout people, the fitness people, because if they're seen carrying those, then somebody's going to want to have that. Exactly. Uh, no matter that they can't fit in a car cup holder and they're pretty generally inconvenient to carry around, there's obviously solutions for that, right? Now you can get a crossbody bag that you put your Stanley cup in, you just zip it up in there and you've always got it on you. They're not accessories for your Stanley. I swear to you, this is true. You, you can buy it on their website. People have Etsy stores, Amazon stores. You can get... Ikea has a specific tote bags for the 40 ounce Stanley. So you're kidding. That's, that's what we're doing now. Right. So see now the cup holder thing is that's kind of where I draw the line. If it doesn't fit in my cup holder, my vehicle, then right. Oh, they're not leak proof. You know, they're, yeah. they're a 40 ounce bottle. I mean, they do have 20 ounce versions that they they fit. That's the whole thing. Right. Yeah, so go bigger, go home. Right. Exactly. You know, and I, I think it's interesting to see the trend of hydration in general, but just to move on a little bit into what is happening with Stanley in, in 2024. So near the end of the, the year last year, a woman posted on TikTok that her car burned down. It exploded. Uh, but in the cup holder of her car, she had a Stanley. A Stanley. Her car held her cup hold. The cup holder. I think it was a, I don't know. I think she had links. Yeah. But this to say, she was filming the video of the car. The Stanley Cup was obviously like it was cosmetically damaged, but she opens up the lid to reveal the ice that was in her Stanley Cup was still frozen. The, the fire, the explosion did not do anything to the Stanley. And so what Stanley did is they shared this video, number one, and then they bought her a car. So that is not only a solidification of their brand as, hey, these are built for life. And we care about the people who use our product, right? So if I go get a stick, not anymore. We kind kind of just uh, told on yourself. (laughs) Don't do that. The arsonist. Uh, But okay, so the branding side, and that's where the influencers come in. Exactly. Because it's about branding. And and it's interesting when you get to the social media side of stuff, because I still say, influencer air right floats. it's not a career it's not a job it's it, it's a few minutes of fame but the marketing side is it, it's a thing it, yeah it's really a thing and companies have keyed into that exactly yeah if you see someone you look up to whether it's an actual celebrity or an internet celebrity using a thing and they like it and they don't really say much about it other than like oh yeah i like this thing that's enough for people to buy stuff especially because you can have it in an instant now you know, with Amazon or just anything. You can get things in two days just by ordering it online, right? So the demand and value of things has definitely, definitely changed. Well, the value, the value scale with, with social media has really changed. The value of marketing. Right. Where those marketing dollars are placed. Exactly. Really changed. It, it, it's 
to a certain degree evolved, but there's been a, a definitive paradigm shift. So it's been a little quicker than an evolution because that something over a little bit longer period of time. There's been a, a a quick change. Yeah. Although I'm still thinking about the lady whose car burned down and had the ice in her Stanley and the cup holder still. And, and I'm trying to figure out because and I have a sneaky suspicion she probably did that. Instead of grabbing the fire extinguisher and putting her car out, she's like, oh, I'll video. Well, I think it was what people do now. Well, sure. I mean, I, I, I actually... A car accident instead of helping somebody, I got to video this. I think it's an interesting thing where something happens and people, their first instinct is to film because now this is content. As we have talked about many times before, everything is content. If you can film it, it can be posted. It is content. But even more than this, I think it's like, it's such an interesting thing. So like I mentioned, there are videos of people that Stanley are, they're sharing on their social medias that... People have 60 Stanley Cups, like 60 of just one particular thing. At that point... And they're not hockey players. They're not hockey players. They're not hockey moms. They are just just a person in general that has an entire cabinet of their house, square footage dedicated specifically to Stanley. Wayne Gretzky doesn't have 60 Stanley Cups. Just saying. <laughs> throwing that out there. You're eating myself now. You're no great one, Karen. You're no great one. <laughs> but so, you know, it, it is an interesting Karen thing. was great. <laughs> okay, sorry. Just to think, you know, like people have basically a shrine to this product in their home. And now they have a little bit of social media clout because Stanley shared it on TikTok. They shared it on Instagram. They shouted it out someone on their Facebook. That's free marketing that people are doing for Stanley. So a marketer's job in 2024 now is to connect with the fans, to connect with people who like your product and hype them up because they will start sharing that. And then once they're hyped, someone else will see, oh, Stanley shared this. I could show them my Stanley collection. All of a sudden, you've got free advertising for a week, a month, a year. You know, people just loving this product. You know, it, it harkens back for me to, and I forget the, the name of the shampoo. Um, it began with a T. Um, but they had this honeycomb visual on the bottle and on TV and their commercials. And the tagline was, and they'll tell two friends, and they'll tell two friends. Sure. And so on and so on. And so so that was marketing. This goes back to the 80s. This was marketing. Yeah. And they were proposing and, and uh, being proponents of word of mouth exactly as a marketing tool it's like you know this is how you get this word out and and it's word of mouth and they'll tell two friends and so now you've got that same scenario playing out but with social media yeah so instead of and they'll tell two friends and so on it's it's like and they'll tell twenty thousand people that they don't know but they're our friends right because they're followers um and exponential now right yeah, yeah, it's a. Uh, it goes back to even before that a little bit is like Tupperware parties. You know, stay-at-home moms were having these Tupperware parties, and yeah. they would sell to everyone in their neighborhood and the neighboring neighborhoods. Didn't sell in the store. Didn't see commercials. Nope. It was word of mouth, and here's a great product. Exactly. Buy it. Exactly. And Gotta so, have it. Gotta have it. Just like a Stanley. Well, yeah. Gotta, oh, I went to this Tupperware. I, I gotta have it. It's the best stuff. It's it in and well, so. Why? And and this goes back to, okay, the Tupperware, the old school. Right. Why? Uh, well, because the guarantee, the product was backed. So despite all the, the old school marketing, new school marketing, 
Stanley, you mentioned it earlier. Those products are are built to be indestructible. They'll, they're going to last forever. Yep. They have a lifetime warranty for a reason. Yeah. You know? So that plays into, you know, whether that's old school or new school, that plays into part of that as well. Because, you know, I don't know from a social media perspective, if people key in uh, intentionally or subliminally on value of products, because with the influencer side of stuff, we got away from that and people, cause it was like clickbait. It's like, Oh, this is the coolest, trendiest, fashionable thing. And it didn't matter if it lasted very long. In fact, it was beneficial to the company if it didn't. Right. Cause then you bought another one. As exactly. Long as, as long as the trend was still going. Well, now we're seeing a, a little bit of a shift into, okay, but I need the value for my dollar. I need the quality in that how much are you seeing the social media influencers picking up on, you know what, I'm not going to shill any product anymore. I'm going to just shill the stuff that I can back with my name because my brand is valuable. Exactly. We've had a little change towards that. That's absolutely true. I mean, it goes to the, you know, Yeti, Patagonia, just indestructible products that are built for, for life. You know, like the Columbia commercials back in the day when they were dragging granny up and down the, the snow and through the water. And, and it's like, it's like yeah, granny tough. All right. <laughs> Those were some of my favorite commercials. Back then. Well, that's the way it goes. You know, is if, if, if you want to assign yourself to a valuable product, the way that you do it is to have a valuable product. So when we're talking about the influencers and okay, I, I'm starting to soften a little bit and say that maybe it, it is more than 15 minutes of fame. It's more than it is a job. I, I have a hard time with that. I really do. But it, it's it's a thing um, at least. And is it a career? Well, we'll find out a little bit more time. Sure. Uh, time and distance. Things, function of time and distance. Um, but when you see the influencers protecting their brand, which that's a marketing piece in itself. Because if you assign a higher value to something, people tend to key in on that a little bit and go, oh, well, it's expensive, so it must be good. So you're seeing these social media influencers that are putting a higher dollar value on their brand. They're starting to get protective of their brand and territorial of their brand. And I mean, how long ago was it when a social media influencer didn't say no to promoting a product because, hey, I've got my 15 minutes of fame and I'm trying to build my following and you would see them schlocking anything and everything. Right. There was no being discerning about the products they were supposedly representing. So it's an interesting thing. You'll see what used to be an A-list celebrity who's now a B or C-list celebrity uh, doing ads for a mobile game, for example, right? Uh, people who were very, very big in like the reality TV scene are are promoting meal delivery services. Whether they use it or believe in it, it's, it kind of doesn't matter anymore. Now it's now it's just, we'll, we'll work for it. But then the young people on the scene, their brand is their identity. There is no separation between brand and person, right? So if you have a Stanley water bottle and you believe in it, you want everyone to know that you believe in this product, they're not going to tell you until Stanley shells out. They give them free product. They give them a promotional code to use. So 
people they get some revenue from the people using their name on the Stanley site, for example. Kind of like me with whether it's going to bring me a Yarbo back. <laughs> CES. Okay, plug for Yarbo again. I, I like that product. I, I I am so intrigued. Well, that's awesome. I, yeah, but I, I guess at some point I might be a social media influencer. There you go. Whether it's social or media, doesn't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't get out much, you know. <laughs> uh, so we'll have to talk. We'll work on that, okay? Jordan, you're, you're my go-to on this. All right. Um, so when you're looking at, you you mentioned the, the A-list celebrity and B-list celebrity. Right. And so we've evolved into, and I don't follow as much because, because, um, but we've evolved into, a-list influencers, B-list influencers. Um, explain how that correlates with some of the products that are out there because you see different products, different companies lining up. Try, it's kind of like trying to get the star quarterback, you know, Patrick Mahomes for uh, State Farm Insurance. Sure. State Farm Insurance, they got to have the best. It's Patrick Mahomes. Right. You see that with social media as well. So there's A-list, B-list, C-list, sure. social media influencers. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting, too, because sometimes people just don't care what that celebrity has to say. Um, I saw one of the uh, Gallagher brothers from Oasis, the band Oasis. But is that part of what product is as well? It kind of, well, so for example, the, this ad I saw specifically, I'm a musician, I get a lot of music ads. So one of the Gallagher brothers from the band Oasis was asked to promote this uh, software, this, this music plugin, right? And it didn't have very much interaction. No one really cared. They were just kind of making fun of him in the comments. So the product is an actually good product. It's, it's something for emulation of a keyboard of some kind, right? But the fact that he put his name on it, he staked his reputation on it, does not matter to people. So it truly depends on who, what, where, when. That's kind of the whole thing, right? So I don't care about Liam Gallagher from Oasis. I don't care what he has to say about this product. He's a he's a washed up rock star as far as I'm concerned. But to some people, he's still what he says is law, right? But I think it's an interesting thing to look at as a broad thing. We are in so many different sectors now. It's I don't think that A-list really is A-list unless your name is known by everyone. So there are still celebrities that everyone knows their name and that's a tier of its own celebrity for like a president or like a world leader or like uh, uh, Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes. Uh, you know, Matt Damon. These are names that people just kind of... On Jane. Exactly. They're, if they are the best at what they do, people know their name. But now we've got so many different sectors uh, of notoriety that kind of just appeals to very specific people. If you have a following of 20,000 people and that's, you know, that's your audience, that's who you're going for, that's still enough to push enough product to sustain an entire company sometimes. So there's tiers, and I want to talk about that a little bit too, but a uh, uh, bigger question at the moment uh, how many Oasis songs can you name? Uh, I know most of the tracks off of uh, What's the Story, Morning Glory. Okay, one good album. Yeah, it, exactly. You got it. You know what's up. Yep, they made a career off of it. That's true. It was a really, really good album. But true. One really good album. That's the, the whole thing. Welcome back to the Tech Ranch. We're thrilled to have you with us as we continue exploring living with technology alongside Marlo and Steve. Our social media update on the Tech Ranch. We're talking with Jordan, our social media expert, and uh, we're talking about influencers. We're talking about Stanleys and and trends for the new year. Um, I, like I said, I, I I'm still seeing Threads is trending up. It, it's true. It is, and we'll talk about that in a few minutes as well. But um, 
So social media influencers and there's A-listers, B-listers, C-listers. Um, is there a dollar threshold or a follower threshold that correlates with, are you an A-lister social media influencer if you have over a million followers? Are you a B-lister if you have a hundred thousand followers? Is there a correlation to what your, um, your sphere of influence is and how that plays out to companies that are looking for marketing avenues? Yeah, that's a good question. I think, well, the first thing that really makes a big difference is age. Like, what is the age of this person versus the uh, amount of followers they have? Well, that, all, that also plays into what's the product, too. Exactly. So if you're 55 and graying and you've got a million followers, Grecian formula is going to be knocking on your door. Sure. I mean, and a lot of times, you, like older people that are celebrities, they they kind of have a huge, you know, uh, social media following anyway. George Clooney. George Clooney, uh, William Shatner, uh, George Takai specifically, yeah. he is the exception to this rule, I think. Is he? I, he is a social media influencer as of... He was a f early adopter of Facebook and right. he was interacting with fans that whole time. You know, and so Mike Rowe from the show Dirty Job, right. he's another guy that's really in there on Facebook making sure that he's interacting with fans and stuff like that. And it's really that him. was his job too because... Okay, who was Mike Rowe before Dirty Jobs? Uh, I don't know. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> so, um, but where Dirty Jobs, and, and it really hit a home run, and where it found its niche was that secondary, that tertiary yeah. cable market. That's true. So, those behind the show were like, okay, we need to do this push on this new medium. Right. As it was. Yeah. Um, this new medium called social media. They did it well. And... and Mike, as the star of the show, embraced it and took off with it and ran. And it's opened up so many other avenues to his acting career. And it's true. His influence. And, and now he's, uh, you know, very politically charged. He's an activist. He's He carries a lot of clout when it comes to uh, different avenues. Because it, besides just products or right. besides just a show. True. Yeah. I mean, his brand is being a guy for the people. He's a working man, mm -hmm. despite being a celebrity. Technically, man of the he's a man of the people. And he really is. You know, he he really does make sure that his brand is accurate to his personhood. You know, he's got a podcast. So that's what a lot of avenues do for these folks. Right. If they're a cable celebrity or a celebrity from a long time ago, you know, like, for example, George Takai, you know, he didn't do a lot of things after Star Trek that really tracked. Um, but now he's doing like interviews. He's on, you know, morning shows and stuff he was doing, but he's huge on Facebook, you know? There was one big movie role that he got because of Star Trek. Which was what? Green Berets. Okay. With John Wayne. Gotcha. He was in that one at the same time frame. It's like, okay, that was when he was in his heyday. Exactly. But, but you're right. It's where did it go after that? There was a lot. Right. So just like Star Trek conventions and things like that. And William Shatner, you know, he he had a bit of a a, a career um, you know, doing like Boston Legal and, and things like that. But now he but you see some of these celebrities though, so like the Comic Cons and yeah, the sci yeah. fi conferences and things like that, they were bridges. Right. So they actually that was their social media. Exactly. Yeah. Until there was social media. Yeah. It's finding that community and really holding on to them with your values. And so it's it's not a new thing to be an influencer or a 
at all, really. Like, I, speaking of these folks, you know, uh, Shatner does ARP commercials. And the reason I know that is because I myself am a, an old person in a young person's body. But just to say, uh, say you're, uh, I'm not, I'm not, but I feel, I feel it, you know. Uh, but just to say, like, it's interesting how social media really it speeds up the process of holding on to your fan base. You know, you can have fans for one year that feel the exact same about someone who's been a lifelong fan of Star Trek since the very beginning, you know, and they've been following them, going to Comic-Cons, doing every meet and greet, following the Grateful Dead on tour, you know? These same people get that instantly uh, with this social media because you feel like it's your friend, it's personal. You get to see them all the time, sort of whenever you want. So the recall and the loyalty is something that is unique to the age of social media. Okay, that brings up a question, though, as far as the tangibility. Yeah. Um, so the fans that would follow the Grateful Dead. Right. Or Jimmy Buffett. Right, well, yeah. They're, and, and seeing them a hundred times in concert. Um, now you've got the fan that picks up on that on social media. Right. And this goes back to, okay, Stanley's been around for 113 or, yeah, 101 years or 111 years. Right. And now Stanley's the hottest thing out there with kids. Right. Okay. But if you're going the social media route and say you're like a George Takai or, you know, Grateful Dead or there's a tangible side of that versus the social media. Okay. Now you're up to speed and you're a fan. Right. Okay. But I see with social media that, yep, you're up to speed and you're a fan. And then you can be. Not up to speed and not a fan just as quickly. Exactly. So the social media stuff, it's not as concrete or not as tangible to me. It, sure. It comes and goes. So you'll see it with celebrities that have podcasts. They'll do live events. They'll include fans in the conversation. They'll be more candid than they ever have been to keep these fans, to keep them wanting more, keep them sticking around. So the the tangible thing is we will interact with you. We'll have a Q&A. We'll have a live event in your, you know, major metropolitan area. So it's within distance of everybody. You know, they'll do things like that, like events. It's It's all about events. It's about the connection of social media to real life. I know we've spoken about this before, but you can kind of see it and sort of see how trends are going to develop or uh, unravel at that same exact speed is how tangible can this be? You know, if you're doing a wildly successful radio show and people like it and they want to see you in person, but you refuse to do any live events, people are going to start dropping off, right? Or a podcast or uh, some sort of TV show. You gotta, You have to be the guy that goes to Comic-Con. You have to be a person that has a public persona unless your public persona is being mysterious and being closed off. But even then, like, the intrigue is not enough to keep a lot of... It only goes so far. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Through media, through social media, all these different... What are you so overly accessible? So you can only hold up that veil for so long nowadays. Um, that brings me another good question, though. Um, so the social media, the influence of the phones that have been around... How equitable is that to the people that are doing podcasts is, as far as an overlap is concerned? Uh, do you see a lot of the influencers that are carrying on that little extra with the podcast and kind of integrating the two together? Yes, absolutely. Um, doing video podcasts is the thing. And you can post those clips on TikTok and Instagram and Facebook. And you have more people feeling connected to you because they can see you talking about things they care about. Are they still called vlogs? 
Yeah, uh, kind of. Everything's a podcast now. Video? Did, oh, yeah. be called Log. Oh, yeah. Only 10 years ago. Dating myself a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I, I like what I like. I'm just... <laughs> uh, Jordan, it's been fun. Uh, what? So what else is trending? We've got about uh, 10 seconds. What else is trending uh, in 2024? Uh, great question. Uh, being social, going outside, talking to your friends. Hey, I like that. Uh, stop texting, have a conversation. Sounds good. Jordan, uh, this is the Tech Ranch. If you have any questions or want to suggest topics for future shows, visit thetechranch.com and send us your thoughts. You can also listen to past episodes and watch exclusive interviews not featured on the radio show. Be sure to follow Marlo and Steve on social media by clicking the links at thetechranch.com. Until next time, keep exploring the world of living with technology. The Tech Ranch. Super Talk 1270. And now, time for this week's edition of Ranching Issues. Here's Neil Roberts. Happy New Year to all. And with that, our first week of Ranching Issues. Joining us to kick off this season is NDSU Extension Forward Specialist James Rogers from the North Central Research Extension Center. And James, we've been hearing a high percentage of open cows this year. What's the cost? Thanks, Neil. Great to be back this year, and Happy New Year to everybody. Normally, we expect some open cows every year. It's just unrealistic to have 100% breads and 100% weaning weight. Normally, for uh, mature cows, we expect about 8% opens. We've heard everything this year from hitting around 8% up to as high as 30% open cows, and that's a real cause for concern. And one cause that we can definitely take a look at is body condition of those cows All right, good stuff, James. And hey, we'll have more on open cows when we come back. It's easy to put off saving for retirement, but it can be even easier than you think to start. And once you do, you can feel more confident about your future. As a financial professional of Thrivent, let me help you define your financial goals and take realistic steps to help you reach them. It comes down to making choices about your money that match your values, because even small steps can get you where you want to go. Contact me, financial associate Andy Laris, at 701-509-5794. Looking for the perfect gift? Forebears Casino and Lodge has the perfect answer. A holiday gift package that you can customize for them. Choose from a variety of amenities, such as a night's day, dinner vouchers for cash marketplace, drinks, and most importantly, free slot play. Choose the amount and amenities you want to put in their personalized holiday gift package. Give the perfect gift this holiday season. Call Forebears Casino and Lodge toll-free at 1-800-294-5454 and ask for Players Club. Talking open cows body condition with James Rogers today on Ranching Issues. And James, how do you determine what the body condition actually is? So body condition is different from cow weight. So a cow could have a mature weight of around 1,200 pounds or so and still be poor body condition. So body condition is the amount of fat cover that that cow has on her body. And we have a scale from one to nine. Seven to nine would be a cow that's really overly conditioned. We like to see them in a five to six. Anything less than a four is definitely cause for concern. So how do we determine that? Well, take a look at your house cat. If your cat is round, has no real distinct shape, it's probably a seven to nine. If you can see some shape to that cat, he's probably five to six, which is ideal. That will bring this report to a close. Until next time, I'm Neil Roberts. You've been listening to Ranching Issues, brought to you in part by Andy Laris, your thriving financial advisor in Minot. 
by Four Bears Casino and Lodge near Newtown, North Dakota, and by Bremer Bank. Contact Bremer for your ag banking solution. From America's number one travel radio show, I'm Robert Carey with your RM World Travel Minute. For any of you out there who travel regularly, maybe you just returned from some holiday travel, if you have TSA pre-check, global entry, or are enrolled in the CLEAR program like us, well, you've likely noticed so are many others now. In past years, paying for the privilege to keep our shoes on or not having to unpack our bags for screening, well, it was worth it. Post-pandemic, well, I can't say that's been the case, as now in many situations, the trusted traveler lines are longer than the standard security at airports. If you missed this news during the holidays or you didn't hear me mention it on our long-form weekend show back in December, I think I like this idea, but I won't know for sure until I eventually try it. If you're headed to Las Vegas International Airport in the days ahead, the TSA will be trialing a new self-service screening program. If successful, look for it coming to an airport near you. We use this technology at supermarkets and other retail locations already. Clearly, the risks are not as high if something is missed. So I'm curious if you like the idea of self-service screening lanes at airports. Send us your thoughts at rmworldtravel.com contact. KLXX AM, Mandan Bismarck. A Town Square media station broadcasting from the View Community Credit Union Studio. ABC News, I'm Mark Remillard. A second day of U.S. strikes on Iranian-backed militants in Yemen after striking 60 Houthi targets Friday. U.S. officials say additional strikes were carried out Saturday after a string of attacks by the militants on ships in the Red Sea. A major winter storm threatening to dampen turnout of the Iowa caucuses on Monday. Former President Trump canceling most of his in-person events this weekend, but telling voters. We have to make sure we caucus on Monday, 630, get there a half hour before the 7 o'clock bell. The National Weather Service in Des Moines urging drivers to stay off the roads. Federal prosecutors say they plan to seek the death penalty against the white supremacists who opened fire inside a Buffalo, New York supermarket in 2022, killing 10 black people. The gunman already pleaded guilty to state charges. Voters in Taiwan heading to the polls Saturday to select a new president at a time where China has been increasingly asserting its claims to the island. This is ABC News. The investigation into why a section of an Alaska Airlines plane tore off mid-flight, forcing an emergency landing last week continues. Just a day after the FAA announced an investigation into whether Boeing failed to properly inspect its 737 MAX 9 aircraft, which remain grounded, the FAA taking further action, auditing the MAX 9's entire production line and all of its suppliers. And in a federal lawsuit, a former employee of Spirit Aerosystems, which manufactured the MAX 9 fuselage, alleging the company's products suffered from an excessive amount of defects. It's ABC's Matt Rivers reporting. Mike Lindell, the pillow salesman turned prominent election denier, says that Fox News has stopped running his company's commercials, disputing claims from the network that it was over unpaid bills. Fox has been one of Lindell's biggest advertising outlets, with Lindell now claiming that the network is trying to silence him. Fox News denies that. Losing Fox is just the latest in a series of financial and legal setbacks. Mark Remillard, ABC News. Super Talk 1270, Bismarck Area Weather. With your forecast, I'm Corey Hartman. Snow and blowing snow and very cold today. Winds gust 30 to 35 miles per hour and the wind chill will be 45 below zero at times. For tonight, a low of 20 below, wind chill still 45 below, partly sunny and 10 below for your Sunday. Warm up, pretend it's summer. Get Grandpa's Barbecue Sauce, grandpasbbqshop.com. Currently 20 below. The next greatest generation is now. 
By joining the North Dakota Army National Guard, you continue to live life with your goals in mind. Whether choosing to go to school or work at your chosen profession, your service in the North Dakota Army National Guard allows you to build your future your way. The North Dakota Army National Guard allows you to serve your community and your nation while enjoying life right here at home. Live here serve here. Join the North Dakota Army National Guard today. Now you can listen to Super Talk 1270 on Alexa. Hiya. Find out how at supertalk1270.com. Goodbye. Portions of the following program are pre-recorded. Welcome to the Tech Ranch, where we explore the world of living with technology. Get ready to take a deep dive into the latest gadgets, apps, and innovations with your hosts, the guru of geek, Marlo Anderson, and his trusty co-host, Steve Botkin. Join us on this exciting journey, and don't forget to visit thetechranch.com for even more exclusive content. Now, without further ado, let's welcome Marlo and Steve to the Tech Ranch. EVs, electric vehicles in my opinion, are in serious trouble. And why would that be? Because you can't charge them anywhere if you're on vacation in Las Vegas? So there's that. Yeah, and we'll get, piece of it. We'll, we'll get to that in a second. This is what I think is going on with EVs right now. Um, so EV transaction prices in quarter three were down significantly from 2022 in an attempt to increase sales volumes, Tesla slash Tesla slash prices, which are now down, which are now down roughly twenty five percent year over year, and we're talking new vehicles, new vehicles, because there is no secondary market for right. these things. So what's going on right now is that they're having to slash prices on EVs in order to uh, in order to artificially inflate the. The numbers that are, I shouldn't say it's artificially inflating, but it's getting more people interested because the cars are costing less, right? Uh, in order to continue to make them. At a, so now at a, would be well, a good time to buy my Rivian. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Rivian's really in trouble right now. Yeah, I know they are. So this is this is my opinion. And I think a lot of people who own electric vehicles, and I won't say all, but a lot of people are probably upper middle level or middle income it would or who or that's correct and it was disposable income and it wasn't your which you and i've had this conversation that where do electric vehicles make sense okay the daily commuter yes daily driver that's but correct the price point way out of and most of these people this isn't their only car right this is their run around town car and they could afford the $80,000 or whatever. That's not the case for everybody. I know people personally, even in the town that you and I live in, that own a Tesla or whatever. It's their only car. And, you know, they've told me the things they love about it. They told me the cold weather is the thing that they hate about it because the mileage goes way down. Uh, but overall, they seem to enjoy having the car uh, outside of the charging challenges but again it's just a run around town car you can plug that in even into a regular thing if you're you know it takes a week to charge them with a regular plug-in setup and uh, but if you're only driving 10 or 20 miles a day you can keep up with a regular ac outlet right so getting back to that though so it's cool well how many people are there that that fit into that slot that i just described upper middle income rich 
Okay, so if they all have one or the people who are in that level already have one, now what? I mean, the average everyday person isn't rushing out to buy these things because first of all, who, prohibitive. Who's got who's got six hours to go and charge one? This is the thing that I do not understand. I still don't understand this. And I've told those stories on here before. Now I'm going to get passionate about it again. But I cannot. I mean, that one time, it was a day and a half while I was in Vegas. I have a rented electric vehicle. I got so fed up with it, I took it back. And the only thing I could get was another electric vehicle, but I had to actually... But at least that one was charged. That one was right? charged, so then I could actually drive someplace again, and then I eventually, even though I was, I was down to 2% charge in that thing by the time I was able to find a charger, yeah, that, that put it in. brought up an interesting point in my head. Crazy. So, you know, there's some rideshare things in large cities where you just go grab a vehicle. Yeah. Kind of like... The Lime scooter yeah, yeah. or the Bird yeah. scooter. Um, it's they, called... Um, they have vehicles for that. Yeah, they're, they're Lime Green. Some of them are, are actually Lime Green. They run around town. They're almost, yeah. They almost remind me of the little uh, three-vehicle. Wheel, take it where you will. Vehicle. But they actually have full-size vehicles. They do. You could do yeah. that. So, yeah. you know, you just take it where you're going and dump Leave it, it off. Yeah. And, and is that a better role for some electric vehicles i mean i i could see that being a space that they could occupy problem i've got with electric vehicles is there's no secondary market for them so you're not going to sell a lot of people trade off a vehicle every two or three years and where's the resale value well it's been pretty high till now yeah but when that battery's gone yeah scrap the vehicle yeah it's not like you're just oh i gotta put a new battery in no the cost of that is the vehicle now you're, you're getting a new vehicle i will tell you so it's disposable that it's not an I, asset. I love the performance of electric vehicles oh, that's I do too. probably the one thing that that i'm just like oh my goodness i can have this in a gas-powered vehicle oh um, i love and i've told you this before i absolutely love the new hummer the gm hummer love it if i can get that in a 6.6 liter I'm all over it. <laughs> I, I, I had a I uh, validate the electric side of it. Not I, not where we live. So the last Wrangler I had, I didn't even know they had this. Uh, I rented a, a, a really nice looking Jeep Wrangler, the E Jeep, and it is a hybrid. Oh, okay. Well, that's the path we were going down, and then we should have stayed on that path. You have no idea. It, it was like a combination of both. You had the... Best of all worlds. You had that high performance of an electric vehicle. See, that was the thing. It wasn't God like... bless a, Toyota for sticking to their guns uh, on that. Heat, by the way. But yeah, I bet but, you're right. But, yeah, but, but Toyota's, Toyota's one stayed on that. that. Right. Because but, everybody else had gone down that road of a hybrid, and then the government had incentivized to go away from that and go strictly electric. What was what's the name of the Toyota that uh, um, was so popular or is popular? Um, starts with a C. Um, Camry. Maybe it doesn't start with a C. Anyway, they're hybrid that they've had since two thousand six or whatever it was. Prius. There we go. That's exactly right. Doesn't start with a C. I know. Not even close. Oh, kind of. The C could fit into the P. I guess that yeah, right for Prius. Uh, anyway, backwards P, but they, it's a C. They, they're they're not exactly what most people would call a high-performance vehicle. No. Now, the hybrid in the Jeep, however, oh, my goodness. That thing was like an electric vehicle that 
you know, had the had the torque and all of that stuff. I mean, this thing took off like a rocket. Well, we talked about that before. And and what's the most efficient? So hybrid. Yeah, it's just using the the motor to basically charge up the battery. Yeah. You know, now granted, this thing wasn't getting fifty miles a gallon. It was probably pushing twenty one, twenty two. A lot better than the Wrangler that 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 we have ourselves because I think we get sixteen or seventeen with it. So it wasn't. I mean, it's more efficient, just not as efficient as if it was a one hundred percent hybrid like a Prius would be. Well, I right. told you about the so. e Jeep that uh, one of my wife's friends had to have um, electric Wrangler, and they can't run around all town in the winter when it's cold. Yeah. On a full charge, uh, with, with a full charge, they they, they get a hundred miles of it. They're lucky. Yeah, and, and they got to be very cognizant of okay. Well, we ran to South Bismarck, and now we run up to North Bismarck, right. and then we need to think about getting home. Yeah, which is too bad that it has to be that way. Uh, but anyway, uh, sales are down, and they're down significantly. Bye, bye, bye. And I th- I think it's just this combination. And to me, the biggest thing is just the charging scenario is a nightmare most of the time if you get away from your home base now if it make it makes sense if you can charge them at home or at work or at work someplace that your car is going to be stationary for a while and you have the infrastructure to charge it right but if you have to start traveling and i mean if you're okay with being stuck somewhere for six or eight hours that's one thing the other thing that i've noticed by the way is like they'll have four charging stations right when you go up to a charging area and there's like in a gas station, if all the spaces for for filling up your tank are full, people just naturally get in line behind the car, right? Right. And then you just pull up when the next person leaves. There, There isn't this type of scenario of lanes with these charging stations. They put them off in the side. There's no driving through it because it's usually off on the side of a parking lot. There's a big fence next to it. You have well, to- And you're driving through it would be, okay, I could be here for three hours while that thing's charging. Right. So people kind of scatter around like the parking lot waiting for the next one to open up. Well, who knows who's next? There's no like, like ticking or something. Oh, come on now. Goes on. You've never gone up to like, okay, I'm driving down the street and I can't find a parking space and places with parking meters. Right. And you go, okay. Then you start looking for who's got three minutes left. So yes. So now with the electric vehicle stuff, just, just because there's three minutes left on a charge or what they paid for or right till that, that charge is full doesn't mean somebody's coming out. Well, there's that, and there's no way to get in line behind them. They have to still pull out, and then whoever's whoever conveniently is there next can pull in and start charging. How far are we away from having charging pads for electric vehicles? So they're available now. But cost-effectively? Or because think- it, it's not the same level of charge. It's more of a passive charge. But if you could take away the people that, so say you're in a big city, you've got a parking ramp and this entire level of parking ramp is for electric vehicles and it's one big charging mat. So you're not waiting for people to plug in and unplug their vehicle right. and their vehicles charging passively while they're at work. So that would alleviate a lot of the stress. There would the be. System. And you'd, you just have to adapt your car so it could take the passive charge, you know, the wireless charge right. that you're talking about. Uh, but yeah, it's fast, but... 
No, but, Still, but I, you need to get home. I was, uh, you know, you just think about your, your phone that you charge up wirelessly. I mean, just it's the same technology that does that. Yeah. And it's pretty good. And it's I've got one that'll just take a while because I'll throw mine on one at night on, yeah. on a yeah because I know it's going to sit there and it's fine. It and you know it'll tell you it's like two and a half hours till full charge. I'm sleeping. It's yeah. fine. Yeah. Um. But I also have one that hey, it'll speed charge the crap out of that thing. Right. Right. And that's the one I have at my office at my desk. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I think that uh, um, that would be a viable thing to do, and. Probably not so expensive to put those in. Because you've talked about the ability to do that while traveling um, on roads with autonomous vehicles to be able to charge them in route. Well, I mean, there's there's this talk about uh, beaming power from space. All right, Scotty. And I do look forward to that. Without the tether. Yeah. yeah. Without the tether. Without the tether. Although <laughs> having a tether on is kind of fun, you know. This you just thing like to say tether. Swinging around, you know, on the planet Earth, off the planet Earth. Woohoo! Yeah, but I think of the big drilling thing from the Star Trek movie. It's right. That's exactly right. That's exactly what this would kind of look like, except that it's not drilling. You just like to say tether. Tether. It's like sphere. You like saying sphere. That's correct. And we're back with the Tech Ranch, getting ready for more amazing tech insights from the guru of geek, Marlo Anderson. So what do you think of the new nameplates? I like them. Yeah. They're very cool. They are kind of cool. So it's kind of, it's, um, I guess it's kind of hard to describe this. Well, I'll try to paint a picture the best I can. So it's a nameplate. It uh, printed on our 3D printer, one of our 3D printers here. And uh, it's called a sweeping nameplate. So it kind of, uh, your name, like Steve Bakken, which by the way, I'm making you one, but I need to know. Well, it's like a pompadour kind of. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like a comb over. <laughs> <laughs> so hey, you said sweeping. So looking back, eh? so Chris uh, or Jordan, he's uh, uh, Jordy Alexander, <laughs> social guy. That's that's how is our social guy, Jordy Alexander. Uh, Chris, who's on the show quite often too, his is king of the internet. Chris Van Deventer, right? So uh, I'm having, I'm making mine right now. It's printing right now. Guru of Geek. Marlo Anderson, yep, will be on mine. So we have to come up with yours. What are we going to, you know, you need to have like a title with, with oh, Steve Bakken. You know, like, like because I think Queen of the Internet's taken already. <laughs> so we had, we had, <laughs> we had to come up with <laughs> I'm glad you're laughing at me with that. <laughs> Instead of throwing things, that's going to be next, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, you don't name yourself. Okay. I, I was a little fond of the, those. Remember the memes with the great white shark? Yeah. The Steve? <laughs> oh, I could just do that. But you, I wanted the shark. Those are kind of cool. We did have something a little longer. Did you have a, did you ever have a, a DJ? Uh, I always use my own name. Yeah, all radio. Yeah. For all 40 years you've been doing this. This forty years now, yeah, yeah, and then some. Oh my goodness! You were how old when you started? Twelve. Twelve. I I, I first solo shift on the air when I was twelve. Oh, what what shift? Oh, that that was the midnight to seven, wasn't yeah, it? No, okay. actually, it was. Uh, Why well, was it? I was hoping not when you were. No, told. it was a Saturday afternoon. Okay, and somebody called in sick, and there was nobody to cover it, and and they're like, "Yeah, you're ready," and if you're not, wow, yeah, you're ready. <laughs> Like okay, and, and you had been hanging around the radio station for a while. Since I was eight, yeah. So I'd hung around the station, helped out 
different did, promotions. How did you start working or helping out at a radio station when you're eight years old? I mean, did, I was somebody in the family? No, I, I just fascinated. I used to ride my bike over and I played DJ in my bedroom when I was growing up with my little turntables and, and yeah, I got a friend that did the same thing too. And is in the business as well. Yeah. That's amazing. I, I didn't know that was a thing. It's like Lincoln Logs, but with records. <laughs> so you so you show up at the station, and and then like what the station manager? Uh, I was that excited. Started because I I I used to win a lot of stuff. Okay. The rotary phones. I think yeah yeah yeah. I had it down. I had that rotary dial thing down, um, and then uh, I think they just got sick of me winning stuff, and then. Um, started answering phones for a countdown show at night in the summers. Okay. Um, and that was kind of where it all started. Hmm. And, you know, got to be friends with all the DJs and the programmers and salespeople. And yeah, then, hey, we need a part-timer. You're a warm body. Go. Unbelievable. Yeah. And... Here you are. Yeah. I did it all through high school, did it through college, and just kind of stuck with it a little bit here and there. And, you know, taking some breaks along the years, but always kept my fingers in it some way, shape, or form. But I, I don't mean the radio station. That I've worked them, I've managed them, I've brokered them, I've I've done everything in so podcasting. You, but you were you were basically a DJ to start with and then and then, uh, and I know you still do that a little bit. You fill in yeah. for whoever at the at the station group here. But do you? Uh, I used do to DJ a lot of wedding dances. Back, I loved DJing wedding okay. dances. I, I that was kind of a that, that was more fun than what was, anything else. What was your first talk show? Oh, uh, I, I used to do some stuff back in Grand Forks on uh, KNOX, okay. which was an AM station. Um, uh, the most prominent one, I did some work with Colin Coward in Portland when I worked in Portland um, for Entercom. Uh, did some stuff with him before, uh, for about six months before he went to ESPN. I suppose since you... That was kind of cool. Been on the air so long and and have done so many shows, it's probably... I just remember the first time, because the, to me this is not a full-time gig as you know no, this is just a uh, very very part-time thing it's for fun me. Yeah. yeah that's exactly right and i remember the first time i was on the air on this side of the mic and just fearful right i mean i was shaking and then the second time for the tech ranch uh i remember dean mastel you probably remember yep. dean and uh, I think he's still in insurance running around town yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. Love Dean, by the way. He's I miss him, actually. And he uh, he had mentioned something about that. I don't know if they got their ratings in for the day or for, for the year or whatever it was. And he was reading these. And he's like, wow, we might we might have like, you know, I don't know, a thousand people listening to the show right now or something. And that just like hit me like a ton of bricks. Like, what? There's... There's a thousand people listening to what I'm saying right now. I'd never thought about that before. Well, you don't when you're, so usually you're in a studio. Yeah, it's just you and me, right? Or, yeah, or, you, yeah. Know, you know, you're by yourself. Um, and I've worked big markets and it's not out of the realm of possibility. There's a million people listening yeah, to you. Yeah, yeah. Just don't even think about yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, when you look at the ratings, you go, yeah, we got a million people listening at any given time. It's like, okay, but it's just, one-on-one. -on -one. Here's the ironic part about it is most DJs, like 
music DJs, they're introverts. Yes. They're, they're, they're not people that want to be out in the public. The first, and, and first it's a defense mechanism. When, so the, the radio guys, you know, though, they're, they're overcompensating. Yeah. It, 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 they're not, that's not who they are. I remember the first time I met somebody who was a DJ and got, and got to know the person. And I'm like, you are not a public person. No. And yet you, your job is being a public person. Yeah, but it's just you and the mic. It is, it is weird to, yeah, it's to, just you to and know mic. that, right? And, and you're right. The, these people are generally very shy, unlike you and me. Yeah, we're not shy. <laughs> actually, actually, you know what? I, in, I guess I kind of am. But. I, I've got windows of comfort. So sure. in, in my space, I've um, hosted or emceed big conferences and different sporting events and music events. And, and if I'm in a room with a small group, I'm fine. If I'm in a room with say 20 to 35 people, that's not my comfort zone. Um, but I've got no problem being on a stage in front of 25,000 people yeah. announcing a concert yeah. or doing some banter with, so I, that's, I'm fine with that. You're not seeing the individuals at that point. It's, it's just, the lights are bright. The, right. Yeah, it's just, and I tend to make things every, very conversational. It's like you and I, we have a conversation. When I'm hosting a show, it's not about the show. Um, it's not about me. It's about the guest. So I always kind of look like it, look at it from an educational perspective. It's kind of like what we do with the Tech Ranch here. We're trying to educate people. Hey, look, it's cool stuff out here. Um, you know, come check out this or, you know, try to bring something of interest that's like, oh, I didn't know that. And then let an expert in our case, it's you. Uh, talk about what they know. Not really. I, but, I know. Uh, but you guys uh, brand me well. That's yeah. So, but but that's that's the way I always approach it. And then my job on this side of the mic is about how do I make the person on the other side of the mic as comfortable as possible. Sure. How, how do you ask the right questions that are going to allow them to relax and answer yeah, that question? Be the person that they really are. Right. Yeah. So it's. I find it, uh, your story is intriguing, actually, and I appreciate you sharing that with us. You've returned to the Tech Ranch, where technology is our passion. Let's jump back into the conversation with Marlo and Steve. Desalination system could produce fresh water that is cheaper than tap water. Wow. So this has been a big deal for a long time, and I know this is something you know a lot about. Yeah. You know, the challenge is, and everybody talks about this, you know, we have a water shortage and uh, the water shortage for a lot of places like California. I mean, it's along the coast. You can see water, but you can't drink it. California does not have a water problem. They have a people problem. They have too many people. Well, okay. Um, Okay. But, but they've floated ideas of, and desalinization has been extremely expensive. Um, But they do do it in, in like Dubai and Saudi Arabia, wealthy oil countries over in the Middle East not a problem they do it because and it's expensive but they still do it uh there's been crazy ideas about floating icebergs down to california to just to get fresh water <laughs> I, but that's how far but that's how valuable water I, is. i want to be the captain of an iceberg i, I, I want to be a captain like, of, the, of the iceberg don't, don't back out man. drive it is, is that tug going to be called the titanic i, I don't know um <laughs> but look what's going on right now on right. the on the mississippi river uh, for some strange, perfect storm of events, they're getting 
salt water flowing up the Mississippi River. And now they're concerned about water intakes that are going to be inundated with salt water right now. Well, but if you can make water out of salt water, again, that that's a kind of a crazy scenario going on. But they're concerned about New Orleans even uh, with the yeah. salt water backing up the the Mississippi River because it's going so far back upstream with the tides. Um, right. Right. If, if you have a, a desalinization anywhere on the coast, a desalinization plant that is making water off the salt water, you're not going to run into some of those issues. But affordable desalinization, that's been like a unicorn thing for a long time. So this is how it works. It's a device. The configuration of the device allows water to circulate in swirling eddies in a manner similar to the much larger thermal haline circulation of the ocean. This circulation combined with the sun's heat drives water to evaporate, leaving salt behind. The resulting water vapor can then be condensed and collected as pure drinkable water. In the meantime, the leftover salt continues to circulate through and out of the device rather than accumulating and clogging the system. And that's always been the big deal with these systems is that the salt eventually clogs them up too. So then they have to go clean them out and all this other stuff. Um, and this is a passive solar system. So this is really interesting. It could produce four to six liters of drinking water per hour and last several years before requiring replacement parts. So, I mean, this is even, it reaches an estimate that the system is scaled up to the size of a small suitcase. So this, a small suitcase can make four to six liters of drinking water an hour. Okay, so look no, at it from an infrastructure scale that up. Yeah, look look at yeah. this from an infrastructure perspective. So, uh, you know, the old adage, and and we're in an oil patch in in North Dakota. It, you know, waters for for fighting, whiskey's for drinking, waters for fighting. That's the old adage because water's valuable. <laughs> water's valuable. Water's extremely valuable, no matter where you're at. So now, if you've got the ability to produce enough water for your personal consumption in a briefcase or a small suitcase, look at the cost that it incurs for water treatment facilities for communities. But I can have one in my house that's going to do everything I need in a much cheaper, well, salt water. scalable fashion. Well, you're right. But the ability to potable water... The ability yeah. to use potable water in a, a small situation like that, wow. I mean, there's other aspects besides just the desalinization side of this. And those would be? Well, so, say I'm traveling through the desert and you perspire. Okay, think of the movie Dune. Oh, yeah. Or or uh, even... even uh, but Dune, yeah, would be... Okay, be so the suit collects your perspiration what's your perspiration salt salt water so now you've got drinking water produced off of your own perspiration which is salt water so if you're in a desert or an arid climate where you're see where i'm going with this yeah it's it's actually there's a lot of possibilities with this there's no doubt about it and of course coastal areas uh, are the first things that come to mind, but there's all kinds of other areas. I mean, even third world countries, 
that that don't have decent drinking water uh this this could be this could be life-saving for people and I, you know this it might not even be about um desalination because this is actually using you know it it, it actually um i'm thinking of the not coming up the right word right now but it it allows the sun to evaporate the water right so the water vapor is condensed and uh oh what am i thinking i cannot think of the word here steve help me out man evaporate you're not helping me out at all are you i know i'm no i'm letting you twist my breath (laughs) and i'm doing a great job aren't i oh my goodness all right anyway thank you now i'm gonna stew on it oh we're just we're just uh it's a it's a it's a type of uh purified water Distilled. Distilled. I, I was thinking decanted. This is... Yeah, distilled. This is a distillation process, basically, uh, using uh, ocean water or, or salt water, right? But you could still use the distillation process on the Nile, for example. I mean, how many people drink water from the Nile that gets sick because it's polluted beyond belief but yet if you ever watch videos people still go down to the water every morning to get their drinking water to get their bathing water and then they throw the bathing water back into the river so people downstream get to drink that and do whatever right so that's the challenge there and but if you could have something in a suitcase size type of device that you could make four to six liters of water an hour in the sunlight are you kidding me yeah, I, I, I mean, this is a big deal. It's huge. It's absolutely huge. So when you're looking at the the possibilities for, you know, fresh water, um, think of your church with mission trips. You know, it's, it's a, what, what do they do? Yeah, they dig a well. North Dakota National Guard. Yeah, so, that's exactly right. What do they do? They dig a well. You know, they're they're trying to get fresh drinking water. That's the first thing to check off the box. That's exactly right. And, you know, it's it's interesting to me. As you know, I'm fascinated with sunlight. And I've always thought about this. Why why is it that, uh, you know, the sun evaporates so much water off the ocean all the time anyway? I mean, all you have to do is look at hurricanes to understand that. And why we haven't come up with something like this sooner has baffled me because I always thought that it'd be pretty easy to tap into the sun power and just direct the water vapor somehow. And then you could have a way to, you know, have drinkable water almost immediately because the salt stays behind. It doesn't, you know, when it's evaporating, it doesn't go up through the water vapor. So it just leaves it behind and, and, to me, this is, and this is a natural process. That's the other thing about this. This happens anyway. It's a passive scenario here because this water is going to evaporate anyway at some time in this water's life. In fact, the water on the planet has evaporated uh, and been many, many other things. We've cooked it with it. We've peed with it. We've done all of this, right? We survived because of water. And it's been recycled over and over and over again. We're just helping that recycling process along. That's what I love about this. Did you ever do that science project back in middle school or where you make a a desalinization plant? Uh, You take some clear plastic, and this is actually a survival tip um, for people that may be stranded in a a lifeboat at sea. You can make fresh water. Um, You 
put the container of water down, you put clear plastic over it, you put a rock in there, uh, the ability for it to evaporate because as it heats up, it collects on the surface and the salt gets left behind. But, you know, it, that drip point, you put another cup in the middle of the container and what goes into that cup? Fresh water. So desalinated water on a very small scale, but it, that's how people have survived in lifeboats for 30 days or 60 days uh, out adrift on the ocean. It, it, it's just a survival trick. And why, we have, why haven't we made like huge units that do this? This, this is baffling to me, Steve. I've never heard of this before, uh, but it certainly makes sense. And yeah, I mean, we, it, we could have these huge collectors that, that unbelievable. I'm all all, right though. All we're talking is scalability. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. The ability to do it on a large scale. Yeah, I'm very excited about this. You know, and and uh, you know, I know we haven't talked a lot about our little project uh, with CO2 and solar power as well, or sunlight. I should say. I can't say solar power, but that's a passive system as well to to uh, convert CO2. So I love these type of inspirations and, and uh, the sun has a lot of power to it. Uh, obviously, I mean, it, it powers our weather. Uh, it power, and in fact, you literally could say that the energy we have on our planet, whether it's in oil, coal, nuclear, all of it is because of the sun. You know, sometime or another, the sun has created this stuff so yes anyway you talk you talk about passive systems and you get excited about passive systems well what is a passive system it's something that occurs already in nature so it's a natural system that's what passive systems are anything you create that's exactly passive interaction um you've got different components that are um integrating and it's a passive system it's stuff that occurs in nature every day and then it's just a question of scalability. That's all it is. That's all it is. So I'm really excited about this. And uh, I hope, uh, so these are engineers at MIT uh, that are working on this. And, and uh, I wish them all the best. I think this this could have significant ramifications for the entire planet. So a couple of... So uh, to see this kind of... A couple of weeks ago, the word of the day was sphere. Now it's distillation. <laughs> distillation. <laughs> Another word of the week, folks. Distillation. I don't have any problems saying distillation. I just couldn't think of the word right away is all. Okay, maybe the word's Reuters. Different thing. Reuters. That that is true. Reuters readers probably are not enjoying my my, my pronunciation of Reuters. We'll just stick stick with sphere. (laughs) I like sphere. That's good. Why I've seen a lot of that lately. I'm really tired of the traffic around that darn thing, by the way. I, I saw a news story on on the sphere in Las Vegas, and uh, holy crap! Is, is it safe to say that's the number one tourist attraction in Las Vegas right now? I, I I would have to say that, you know, especially since you can't even get to the fountains anymore because they're getting geared up for Formula One and whatever. But there's no doubt. I drove by last night, two hours before the U two concert, and it's. It was there. They were there. Are already thousands of people just wandering around it, and this is during the daylight, and it looks okay during the day. Uh, but what's interesting is that it's two spheres, right? It's the big one that wraps around the smaller one on the inside, 
And during the day, you can actually, the sunlight actually comes through it because it's, it's not solid. It's just these rows of, of LED lights that are puck size, hockey puck size. And, you know, when you stand away from it, like a television screen or a movie screen, you stand away from it, you don't see them. But if you're really close to the screen, you can see the little LED lights on, on your television screen, for example. That's exactly what this is. It's like being in a bunch of pixels. Yeah, that's exactly what this is. But but the pixels are hockey puck size on the right. thing. That's that's what's amazing about this. Uh but yeah, it's it's simply stunning. And you know, there there's no doubt. I mean, them the, I've never seen so many images come out of Vegas as I am seeing right now on social media. And it's all because of, you know, you can be anywhere almost in the valley and see the darn thing. It's just stunning. And and the imagery they put on it is amazing too i mean i had a there's a jack-o-lantern that they've been playing on at the last few nights and you know i think it's the 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 great pumpkin is back you know charlie <laughs> brown was right I'm just telling charlie you. brown was right yes. any other tourists with thinking it's a moon i haven't run into that but it, it that one did actually i don't know if i shared that with everybody but i was behind some some people a couple of weeks ago and walking and the one, the one gal goes, and obviously first timers to Las Vegas, and she's like, "I didn't know the moon was so amazing here in Las Vegas," and I'm just like, <laughs> "But we were a little ways away from this, you know, and it was big, but it wasn't like huge, huge, right?" So I could see where she got tricked into thinking that this was the moon coming up, but it was amazing to hear her say that. Welcome back to the Tech Ranch. Let's get back to discovering the latest in technology with the guru of geek, Marlo Anderson. So a longtime friend of ours has, has recently left us. Um, so Dolly Dakota. Steve, I know I never really worked with Dolly at radio. but She's I my radio wife. Was she really? Yeah. So when I started doing all the talk shows uh, uh, in Bismarck on a big radio station... She was my producer for all of them. Okay. So, yeah. Phenomenal human being. I know when uh, when the Tech Ranch first started 10 years, 11 years ago now, it's hard to believe too. Um, you know, she would always be at the studio out there too. We always talked about that she should be on the show someday, but that never happened, which is really too bad. Uh, but I really got to know her more. Because uh, she worked at our local Dairy Queen oh. as well. I always thought that was kind of a cool thing because, uh, you know, he's handed. It, it just, and she seemed to have so much joy in that job. You know what the part she liked about the job? Because um, she'd always worked at that Dairy Queen. And even when she was producing for me and, and my quote unquote radio wife, and and it was the kids. It would. All the kids that work there were Dolly's kids. And they really respected her. And she was fiercely protective of her kids. Hmm. That that was her family. Those kids that worked at Dairy Queen in Mandan, North Dakota. And Dolly was the shift supervisor. Yep. Those were her kids. And you didn't screw with her kids. It's just, I've talked to a lot of kids over the years that had worked there. I didn't know worked there. And, and they're like, oh, yeah, Dolly, because they knew I knew Dolly. And it's like, how's Dolly doing? And just like, yeah, it's just, she was just a phenomenal soul. And very courageous through her, her battle here. And a lot of times, actually, 
you know, many times when I visited with her, I didn't even realize that she was battling cancer. She didn't let anybody know. No. She did not want cancer to impede on her life or to, you know how some people with cancer, it's like, you know, they've got cancer and they're fighting it and they're fighting it. And, um, it's getting the best of them. She's not Dolly. I mean, it, it, she was very guarded about even when it was getting the best of her, not getting the best of her when it comes to her friends and family. And right. It, she's still Dolly. And, and th- that was a tough fight. I know I'm putting down his spot a little bit here too, but any stories bubble up that, that maybe make you smile, make you sad. All of them. I mean, it's just, I actually, some of the cool stuff too, it's at, um, it was the holiday time and we're doing the talk. She's my producer and, and um, she had to go someplace and she had her mom with her and grandma Ginny and like, go get her. <laughs> we had her on the radio telling some of her stories for a while. And, and, and you could see Dolly just like hearing those stories and on the radio with her mom. It was just, it was cool. I mean, it was, it was, it, it was a very, interesting different snapshot in radio it, it was just it but it was cool you know the other thing too with dolly is you're very very proud of her native american heritage and her dancing and i i think with the cancer what really bothered her a lot was not being able to dance to the extent that she wanted to and then not being able to dance at all and i remember broadcasting from United Tribes International Powwow for the first time. And that was all Dolly. Dolly lined all that up. Dolly made all those connections um, because it was such a part of who she was. And great radio, great stories to tell, great interviews, great Dolly. It was just, it, it, none of that happens without Dolly. Dolly was the person that's like, she could call up anybody and get anybody on the radio. Just it was Dolly. She made everybody feel so at ease and was so matter of fact in her communication and her openness. I mean, you could talk to her and you knew that, well, there's no preconceived anything there. It just, it was an open book and, you know, she laid it all out there, an open soul. And just, you could tell just a kind, kind person. And, and the one thing I've always prided myself on the radio side of stuff with doing interviews is, you know, it's an educational moment and I'm never going to do a gotcha. I, I'm not going to get somebody on the radio and set them up because I'm going to get you. It's, it's, I don't do it that way. Dolly never did it that way. It's like if Dolly called up somebody for me, they knew that, okay, well, they could be in the middle of the news about something, but that's not the way we were. It wasn't going to be a gotcha moment. Right. It was like, hey, tell your side of the story. She seemed to be, and I'm getting that from you right now too, that um, it's like everybody was family to her. Yeah. You know, so I mean, the, the story that you just said with her mom coming on uh, the show with you, to me, just really, really, and the way that she protected uh, the kids that worked with her over at the Dairy Queen in Mandan, North Dakota. Uh, it's all just sounds like extension of one very big family for her. If you were a listener to Dolly and any of her formats that she worked in radio and broadcasting, it, you were family. If you called her up and talked to her on the radio, you were family. Yep. It, she just treated everybody that way. And it, it was just, it was so sincere and it was so 
genuine and it just that came across that came out and and it doesn't flow so easily like that with a lot of people but with dolly it did well one thing's for sure she's she is certainly going to be missed and uh again i didn't know her as well as as you did i know well actually just, she booked you on the show with me and that's how you and i met and then i did not know that yeah she's the one that booked you I Marlo who? <laughs> I didn't know. She's that. like, you need to talk to Marlo. It oh. was funny. It's like every week it was like, you need to talk to so-and-such. You need to talk to so I'm like, and I had just moved to Bismarck and and Dolly lined all this stuff up. Okay. Dolly knew everybody. Yeah. That, that, as a producer, Dolly was the best producer anybody could ask for because she knew everybody. She had a connection to everybody, especially for somebody coming in new to a market. Sure. Sure. And she knew everybody. It's like, oh, you need to talk to Marlo. So. I, I was always, uh, obviously, I went to the Dairy Queen a lot back when, when she was working. Not so much anymore, but, you know, my body's built on bagels and Dairy Queen ice cream. What can I say? Uh, but uh, she always, I'd walk in and I, she didn't even have to ask me after a while. I mean, I always had, I always ordered a large vanilla ice cream cone and and uh, she just always made sure that, you know, it had a little extra swirl on the top, I guess. I don't know. I'm just making things up now but but it was always sure everybody uh, had extra yeah I'm, that was that was her personality everybody got extra true. wrinkles that is true. that was dolly but i always noticed when she was working that you know the other people the staff there were always they always seemed to be more organized it seemed to have a lot more fun when that was going on than when oh, she yeah. wasn't there so well, that was the other thing too is that dolly cracked the whip and i think that's why she had so much respect from all of her kids that worked at dairy queen um growing up and Dolly expected a lot, and she gave more than she expected. And I knew how much she worked at the radio station, too. So that's, that was the other thing that always amazed me is, like, you really don't have to be working here, Dolly, at the Dairy Queen. It was just, it seems such, like, two separate worlds. But actually, really, it's not. I mean, when you think about uh, the interaction of, of people, and I think she thrived on that. Yeah. Uh, and I think, I'm sure she loved that. And, of course, people person. the Dairy Queen on a, on a, on a hot summer night was the place to be at the time, wasn't it? Well, and Dolly liked to be in the middle of the action. Yeah. She liked to be not the focal point, but she liked to have a lot going on around in her world. Yep. And whether it's the summer at the Dairy Queen or at the powwow broadcasting or doing a radio show from someplace, she was right in the middle of it all. Yeah. Well, Dolly, you will be missed. Yes, definitely. Dolly Dakota, um, big part of the uh, Bismarck Mandan broadcasting family. And that's a wrap on another fantastic episode of The Tech Ranch. Remember, if you have any questions or want to suggest topics for future shows, visit thetechranch.com and send us your thoughts. You can also listen to past episodes and watch exclusive interviews not featured on the radio show. Be sure to follow Marlo and Steve on social media by clicking the links at thetechranch.com. Until next time, keep exploring the world of living with technology. 